Welcome to this episode of the Movie Clan Podcast. I am David, and this is my wife, Sherry. And on this episode, we'll be covering the 1986 film, Band of the Hand. Now, I'm going to pass it over to Sherry and find out your history on this movie. (laughs) Um, As per usual, I feel safe to say very little. Yeah, I'm going into 2022 the same as last year. Oh, yes. yes. (laughs) Still a lot I haven't seen. Just two viewings on this one. Two viewings on this one. Never even heard of it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I might go into a little bit later on why I picked this movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, that that's pretty much one of the reasons I feel safe to say. I just wanted to kind of jump into something we very little is known about it. But my history on this one is I seen this in the theater at the time it came out. This was one of those that kind of just was in and out of theaters pretty quick. I don't recall a lot of talk about it or anything. And then once it left theaters, it just kind of died out. Yeah. You know, you, you've seen it on HBO and things like that, but it wasn't like it played on TV. And really, this film is still not very long now. Yeah. I just thought this one would be a good one to jump into the new year with. Something that, you know, kind of like when we did Bad Girls, for example. Yeah. That's another film that kind of was out and it kind of just fell <clears> off the radar. And I kind of wanted to just bring some attention to this movie. Yeah. But uh, if that uh, covers your history, it covers mine. And like I said, we will drop in a TV spot because we don't have a trailer for this movie. We, there's an Italian trailer, but not, not, no <laughs> you can't understand trailer. what they're saying. Yeah, so. so we will drop in a TV spot. And after that, we will come back with the cast and crew and the plot synopsis. Once they were the problem. This is you. Your criminal past. They gave you to me. Now they are the solution. We clean up the park. Next come the streets. Now they're on our side. Let's take the man down. Band of the Hand. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. And uh, we are back. Uh, and this film is uh, from, once again, returning director to the podcast, Paul Michael Glazer who, of course, has done what is apparently one of our very popular episodes, The Running Man. He directed that, and, of course, you know, we went over his uh, directing credits in that episode. He, you know, directed, of course, The Running Man, and he's directed episodes of Miami Vice, which kind of ties in to this film, and just various other movies. Like I said, he... I don't think he does as much work now as he as he did at one time, but I think he still works here and there. Got to be pretty old now. Yeah, he's up there in his years. Yeah, like I saw a picture of him. He's really gray haired. So. Yeah, I would say he's probably in his seventies <coughs> now, yeah. at least. So, uh, I guess we'll jump into the cast here, and our first one here is uh, Stephen Lang, who plays Joe. Now, he's someone you might not know him by name, but you've probably seen him in many films. He was in Avatar, Tombstone, the film Manhunter, and uh, there's some recent films called Don't Breathe. He was in both of those. And in TV shows such as Crime Story, Equalizer, Law and Order. And he's got, as of right now, 134 credits to his name. Wow. So he's a pretty steady worker. I have to admit, anytime I see him in a movie, I know he's going to give a good performance no matter what. I mean, he played like this kind of tough kind of Indian, even though he's not Indian, <laughs> uh, in this movie. And he was very good there. But in Manhunter, he plays like this sleazy reporter and everything. Just this like, you know, just complete sleazeball. And he was very good in that movie mm-hmm. too. But like I said, he's just a rock solid actor. He's good in everything. 
And then we come to Michael Carmine as Ruben. And he's been in such films as Leviathan. He was in Batteries Not Included and Invasion USA. Force TV, he was in Miami Vice, Tour of Duty, <coughs> Crime Story. And he passed away in 1989 at the age of 30. Yeah, yeah very young. He died of a heart failure. I'm not really sure the circumstances on what happened there, but I mean, that, from what I've read a little bit on it, it wasn't drug related or anything. He just. It's a health issue. Yeah, just a health mm -hmm. issue, just a bad heart. And then we come to probably one of the few more well known people in this film, Lauren Holly, and she plays Nikki. And she's been in films like Dumb and Dumber, uh, Dragon, Any Given Sunday, and Turbulence. And she was on TV shows such as like Picket Fences, My Two Dads, and Hill Street Blues. And I have to admit, I always forget that she's in this movie until I start watching it. Because mm -hmm. she's like very young in she's this very movie. Very young. Uh, I can't remember if this was like her first movie or not. But if it wasn't her first, it was probably one of the first. Of them, yeah. And another one that I, I know, but maybe a lot of other people don't, is uh, John Cameron Mitchell. And he plays JL in this movie. He was in a movie that I really like, Hed Hedwig and the Angry Inch, uh, Party Girl, Girl 6, and Book of Love. And he is also in films such as Law and Order, MacGyver, Equalizer, and Head of Class. Did I say films or TV? That was TV. He's been around <laughs> for a long time. I mean, I think he's even still working pretty steady today. You know, of course, he's a lot older now. But then next we go to Danny Quinn as Carlos. Now, I had a lot of trouble finding stuff on him as far as acting-wise. Well, Carlos, he plays a Puerto Rican guy in this, but he's Italian in real life. He was born in Rome, Italy. Yeah, I mean, I have films on him such as Codename Wolverine, which has nothing to do with the X-Men, uh, Mary Magdalene, and A Reason to Believe. Also is in TV shows called Space Rangers and Second Chances, which I have never seen any of these. No. So I don't know anything about them. But his cast list was pretty sparse. I don't know if he's if he just doesn't act a lot or if he does more theater and plays. So that could be the case here. And then the next one we have here is called as a name the Leon, and he plays the character of Moss. Now people might know him from Cool Runnings, the John Candy movie, uh, the Temptations movie. Uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, which is a wonderfully bad movie. I have a question. Is he the statue in Madonna's video? I think he is. He is. That's I, where I remember him from. I believe that is him. Mm -hmm. I want to say it is. Now that you mention that. Or I, is someone that looks just like him. I believe you're correct on that. And also he was in the film Ali. And on TV shows such as Crossing Jordan, Hunter, and Midnight Caller. Yeah, I didn't even think about the Madonna video thing until you just said mm -hmm. that, but I do believe you're right. And uh, next we have Al Shannon as Dorsey. And he's been in uh, such things as uh, Casualties of War, No Man's Land, and Last Exit to Brooklyn. And TV, Equalizer, Crime Story, Miami Vice. Boy, a lot of people got a lot of work in them shows in the 80s. Yeah. And, of course, we have uh, James Remar as Nestor. He was in Cruising and 48 Hours, which he was probably one of the best villains ever in 48 Hours. He was, like, scary in that movie. Gans, Albert Gans, I think was his name in there. He was very good in that. He was in uh, The Cotton Club and The Warriors. And also TV shows, once again, we're going to hit some other ones. Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice, and Crime Story. I think as of today, he's got 172 credits to wow. his name. And he's still working. I seen him in something not too long ago. 
And then we jump into another well-known name who has a very small part in this movie, uh, Larry Fishburne, who plays uh, Cream. He was in, of course, The Matrix, all three of those movies. He was in Apocalypse Now, Deep Cover, and Mystic River, just to name a few of them. And TV shows such as uh, CSI, Hannibal, and he was in uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse as Cowboy Curtis. (laughs) Yeah, which I always forget that too. And, of course, he's still working today. I think i just seen him in a film recently, now that I think about it. But that's all I have on the cast. Do you have anything in particular? Mm, no. Nothing? nothing? Okay. I guess we're going to jump into the film now. And uh, we open up the film, and it says a Michael Mann production. You're going to watch this film, and if you watched Miami Vice or anything in the 80s, Michael Mann was associated with Michael uh, Miami Vice, and you're going to see a lot of that in this movie, in oh, yeah. style and in tone mm-hmm. and everything. So if that bothers you, this might not be for you. <laughs> but if you're like me and you grew up in that era, this might be a little more pleasing to die. But yeah, how many I just, star, tri-star movies have we done so far? I know Rad was one. Rad was one. We did another one. That wasn't Running Man, was it? Maybe so. Was it Running Man? Maybe so. I think you're right. I think we did do a second <laughs> TriStar movie before this one, but I can't remember what it is now. I believe you're right on that, but my memory is a little vague on that at the moment. But we open up and there's like a riot in a in a town, like a downtown, like a gang riot it or gang fight. It seems to be like rival gangs fighting. Yes, that's what I kind of gather. It's almost yeah. like a, a rival gang kind of riot thing going on. This um, reminded me of Warriors. I could see that. Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I could see that. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And we have just a bunch of people fighting and cops coming mm-hmm. in and breaking things up. You, this is where it first shows Moss and Reuben, and they appear to be the leaders of each of the gangs. Yeah, they're either the leaders of the gangs or they're, you know, just, or they just hate each other in yeah, general. I they, mean, yeah, they do not get along at all. It's clear from one moment when they don't like each other. Yeah. Then after that, we cut to, I guess what you call their mug shots with their criminal record, which is mm-hmm. basically a lot of gang right. violent related things. You know, so we've established these two. And it kind of, this kind of sets up like a scene for each character to say what their story is and how they ended up. Uh, that's what in we're, prison. that's exactly yeah. where we're going because each character gets his own moment where you see. And next we have uh, the character Nikki waiting for Carlos in a car. You hear a voice, and I guess it's Nestor. It's and Nestor. he's telling Carlos he needs him to go to the airport and pick up something for him. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, a drug deal is about mm-hmm. to go down. So you have all these men kind of getting in a car and she's with a little sports car and she picks up carlos yeah and then nestor kind of glances over see, at nikki he's as staring he at her yeah you know you don't kind of get that yeah you don't get what it's for mm-hmm. at the moment but you do find out later nikki gives a carlos a gun as they go up to go into the airport, you and know, Carlos the, is wearing a Miami Vice suit. Yes, oh this my is goodness. this is the first instance where you're going to see the Miami Vice influence on this film. Wow, uh, just in the clothing, yeah, because this is definitely Miami Vice period clothing. Yeah, the colors, yeah, the pastels and everything. Yes, mm-hmm. most definitely. Not that I'm complaining. I never could wear those kinds of clothes because I knew I looked like an idiot. <laughs> but I think they they fit, mm-hmm. you know, uh, certain people. Not really him, actually. I always said the only one that could pull it off was Don Johnson, and he, he was the only one that could. Like I said, they're at the airport. Nikki gives Carlos a gun, and he goes in to do the deal. Yeah, but they 
They shoot a line of coke first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. They each do like well, a little Miami. line of coke. Well, there you go. This Drug of choice back yeah, then. Yes, very much so. And he walks in with a briefcase. Yes, he walks in with a briefcase and he meets some people to do a deal and, you know. They open their briefcase and it's full of cocaine. Yeah, and he has one that's full of money. Money. And then he looks up and then one of the guys throws a badge over yes. over the thing. So he's, he's cooked. Caught. He's cooked. And Nikki's and you think, out. You would think that Nestor wouldn't be that dumb, you know. Well, I don't think he was that dumb. Yeah, we're, we'll talk about why we think that. Yes, yes. But, and then Nikki's outside waiting in the car and she notices these guys trying to move in on her. Yeah, and I think she realizes that, oh, oh he's, oh, in, he's in trouble. Bust. Yeah, so she takes off. As uh, they're bringing uh, Carlos out. And she runs into a car. Yeah, she runs into a car. They're firing her guns at her, and naturally she gets away. Yeah, he kind of watches her. I mean, I always wonder if they had that kind of plan, like if one of them is busted and the other one's mm-hmm. eating, they just take off and get, mm-hmm. get away. I'm assuming that's what's happening yeah. here. And then next we have a scene where there's just an establishing shot of a building. Well, it shows Carlos' mugshot. Carlos' mugshot, that's right. And right he's being sent to prison. Yeah, 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 basically, that's like what yeah. a lot of his stuff is. It's drug-related. Like you said, we moved to a scene. It's kind of like an explosion happens. Yeah, it's just a random building, and you see an explosion. And this is J.L. He's just standing there on the side of the building like he just said an explosive just to mm-hmm. blow up the side of the building. You don't know why? He's just sitting on his bike, and he just rides off. Yeah, he just rides off like it's his no His look in this movie reminds me of Corey Hain in Lost Boys. Yeah, I can definitely see that. He's got the spiky hair, red mm-hmm. hair. And he kind of, um, I guess he lives in like a trailer park. Yeah, he uh, rides home on his bike and he lives in a trailer park and there's a little girl sitting out on the steps. I assume that's his little sister sister or something of some kind. And he walks in and his dad is just, I guess, beating beating his mom. mom. In a very small kitchen. I don't know if they have room to fight. (laughs) Yeah, this is like one. This is like one. It's a single wide trailer, so it's very small. Very small. And then the dad starts, I guess, talking smack to him and. Like, I guess basically tell him you want some of this or something like that. So you can kind of get them as this has probably always been his life. And Jail just pulls out a gun and just kills his dad right there. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, there's no, he doesn't say a word. He just looks at him and he just pulls a gun. Yeah, and just fires a gun and kills him. And then next thing you know, the police are pulling up in front of the trailer park and he's sitting there on the steps with his sister who's just sitting there still just eating an ice cream like nothing happened. That, that probably happens all the time. Yeah, but I think the, the murder, that's what's so weird to me is like even the gunshots, they seem like she is even unfazed by that because yeah. she's still just sitting there. So maybe mm-hmm. this is just like a day-to-day thing where she's used yeah. to the gunshots. That and violence. And... Then, of course, we get his uh, mugshot that comes up. And he's like wanted for. Yeah. I think it said um, manslaughter. Yeah, it was manslaughter and second degree. And like, um, was it blowing up buildings and yeah. things like that? Like doing mm-hmm. things like that, you know, a property damage. That was what it was. And then, of course, now he's in the clean. And then we see a guy running, trying to break out of a prison. I'm assuming that's what it is. He's either breaking out of a prison. I never was really clear on this. If either he was trying to steal something and he was trying to get away. 
or he was trying to get out of a juvie well, prison. Well, it was guards, so I think he was trying to get out. I mean, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I just couldn't tell if those were security guards or if they were regular guards. But then again, I get to thinking about, they said he's trying to break out of a number of places over his years. So, And that's kind of his um, character in this movie. He's always running. Yes. He's always trying to get away. Yeah, well, um, there you go. He's like the escape artist yeah. of the group. But I'm going to lean toward what I was talking about. He was just in like a lockup, in a juvie lockup, which these kids, uh, if you watch this movie, they're mm-hmm. not juvenile. They refer to them as juveniles, but yep. they're in their 20s. Yeah, easy in their 20s. <laughs> they're not little boys. But he's climbing over a fence, and these security guards are trying to get him. And he gets over the fence, and he lands, and I think he probably sprained his ankle, ankle or broke his ankle yeah. or something. You're not really sure, but point being, he ain't going nowhere. I think it's funny that he's struggling to get over and they're going to climb up after him. Yeah. But then they just unlock the door and go through. Well, that's what they should have did. That's, yeah, just knock what, him off the fence. Yeah, I was thinking that too, but I was like, well, that shows what, how dumb security is. So they just kind of unlock it and they come through and they just start beating him with their baton sticks. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, to me, and that's probably something that's happened to him many times. Yeah, so he, so he like literally made it maybe 300 feet. Yeah, if that. <laughs> If that. And then, of course, he's captured again. That, and I'm sure he his... got another charge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably, you know, for <laughs> attempted escape. There's his mugshot up, you know. Mm-hmm. He's uh, just a petty head criminal. back. Yep, yeah, and he's headed back into the clink again. And now we're in the lockup. And uh, Moss is uh, playing uh, basketball with yeah, a bunch of guys. Yeah, like out in the yard. And I think every guy in this shot has a short mullet haircut. Yeah, I, w- <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice the... Um, it's not the long mullet, it's the short mullet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, that wouldn't shock me none. I mean, I didn't really notice all the hairstyles, but yeah, I could see that. And, you know, like I said, Moss is playing basketball. A guard calls him over, says, you know, basically yeah. tell him, you know, we need you, come on. You know, of course, he kind of just runs gizzles. Runs his mouth. Yeah, runs his mouth. It's like he ain't going to go, but eventually he does. And then uh, JL is, uh, you're not sure if these are, if it's the same facility that they're in. They are. We're all in the same one. They're in the same yeah. one. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't know if they was just bringing them from different facilities. No, they're or all not. in the same one. Okay. He's I wasn't sure He's just working sure in the that. kitchen washing dishes. Yeah. I never could really quite pinpoint if they just grabbed them from different places. It looked like they were all in the same place. Okay. Well, yeah, like you're saying, JL's working in the kitchen and then, of course, he's called away you know he's in there i guess doing dishes and things of that nature it shows carlos standing with a group of guys outside um carlos is a pretty boy yeah he's very cute i'm really surprised he wasn't in more with his look yeah i mean like i said he was one of them i couldn't really find much on on the credits i mean i don't know there's something in the trivia um i was going to talk about okay yeah we can Um, get into that but it's not really retaining to his career okay um well, this yeah. is personal life. okay well i said we can get into that one but he's really cute he's like a pretty boy he's a tough or he thinks he's a tough guy but he's a little bit different than they are or he thinks he's different than they are he thinks he's a little bit better than them i think well that's what i feel like because he's got a nice fancy suit on and all this stuff and they're street thugs well yeah he thinks he's all of that because mm-hmm. you know of his higher lifestyle i right. think is what it is he is in a street level thug i think is what he feels like he feels like he's a right. upper class, class drug dealer or something yeah yeah but, yeah, of course, he's called off. And uh, Dorsey is as well. So they're rounding up all of these people we've seen. Ruben is in with a bunch of people, and they're dancing, dancing on a the table. 
Oh, they're doing some 80s dancing here. Yes, very much so. And, you know, they call Ruben, and he just turns around and looks at them, and then he flips them a bird, and he just starts dancing <laughs> he again. He just keeps dancing. And, you know, then naturally he is uh, told to come on, too. This is the scene that kind of shows them, like, they're all in the same place, but they're putting them in one cell yeah, together. Yeah. I mean, that's why I guess yeah, you're probably right. This is the same facility. I, I never was really clear on that. But. And then it shows that them being, they're being taken out of the building into, a, like, a... A van to be yeah. transported, and they're in normal clothes. They're not in prison clothes anymore. Yeah, and Moss and Ruben are fighting all yeah, the way out to as the van. Usual. Yeah, they're literally on each other. At each other's throat. I mean, yeah, and they're just loaded up into the van and then driven off. And then it moves to a scene of Nikki coming to visit Carlos at the prison. Yeah, just as that van is pulling out. She's coming in. She's coming in. And she goes in to ask to see Carlos. person at the desk there looks and says, no, we don't have anybody named by She's confused because she was just there to see him the yeah, day she, before. Yeah, she said she was just there yesterday. And they're like, we don't have a record of him. Yeah, we don't have a record of so him. So that's kind of weird. So, yeah. like, where are they being taken? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's going the, on? Yeah, what's going on here? And that shows a scene. It shows the guys in the back of the van, and Reuben are still fighting. Yeah, there's Moss, the, and Ma- Ruben. Moss and Reuben are still fighting with each other. They seem to have a lot of history with each other. But yeah. It I must think be street history. That, like. That's what I was gathering, yeah. Then, you know, this is like, uh, apparently this is a pretty long drive for them, and we find out, you know... Is it Reuben that's grilling the, each one of them while they're in prison? Yeah, Reuben is kind of grilling them, and then, you know, he's kind of giving some shit to uh, Carlos, you know, and Carlos acts like, you know, he's a big-time dealer and everything. You know, he, kind he of, said, what you in here for, bro? Yeah. And then um, Carlos goes, I ain't your bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like, like I said, Carlos, you kind of get the hint that he feels like he's just better yeah, than these he's guys. Just, yeah. yeah, he's like, he's above He's them. a better thug than they are. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'm a better class of thug. Yeah. And this is the scene you find out that JL is mute. He can hear. You can see that he's looking at them. He can hear them, but he just doesn't speak. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't really acknowledge him by saying anything at all and i think darcy says just leave him alone because he killed his dad they're like oh okay well yeah yeah you don't see too many i guess kids like that i guess in yeah. that particular one i figure it's mostly probably most of them in there are drug dealers and gangs gang related yeah you probably don't see that much in, in that particular yeah. facility okay and then they're taken out of the back of this truck and, you know, of course, you know, it's just out almost in the middle of nowhere. And mm-hmm. then they're put in these uh, airboats. And then, you know, you get some establishing shots of they're going in these airboats out into Everglades. Yeah, this is very Miami Vice music and vibes in this scene. Yes, very much so. They are... Then these airboats stop out, of course, what you're saying. I mean, the Everglades are already out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Already. The guards kind of just stop the boats near shore. And yes. just, they're like, get off. They're like, you know, they keep asking, like, where's the facility? Yeah, because they think they're going, being transferred to another place. Yes, exactly. And there's nothing out there but the woods. Yeah, there's nothing out yeah. there. There's water and shrubs and trees. <laughs> like, and that's what's it. going on? Yeah. And Moss and Ruben and JL get, and what's his name, Dorsey, they get out. But Carlos is just like, I'm going to ruin my suit. Yeah. But the guards just like get out. No, Moss doesn't go out willingly. Oh, Moss is tossed out of the room <laughs> boat because he says, "I ain't getting out." And then all of a sudden, you just yeah. see him flung out of the he boat. Just gets to, and then Reuben turns around and laughs at him. Yeah, exactly. And Carlos 
jumps out into the water himself. Yeah. He's like, don't touch me. I'll do it myself. Yeah, you're going to ruin my suit is what yeah. he says. And yeah, like, well, your suit's already going to be ruined. You're not going to have it yeah. much longer. Guards just turn around and leave. Yeah, they leave they them out leave there them in the middle. And they're like, where are you going? You know, what are you leaving us here? Yeah, no, just dropping them out in the middle of the brush out there, and that's it. So they kind of start panicking, and Moss and Ruben start fighting again. It seems like they're just looking for, looking for an excuse yeah. to start fighting with they each other. They hate each other. Yeah. And then about this time, we see another man coming out of the, of the woods. This is Joe. This is Joe, and he goes and breaks them up. Yeah, he's dressed like Rambo. <laughs> well, he's got a he's all in black, and yeah. he's got a black headband on. Yeah, and with his hair can like perfectly moosed. Yeah, I was noticing that too. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. shape. Yeah, in shape. Yeah, um, and he just kind of looks him over. He breaks Moss and Reuben up. Yeah, yeah. He just looks him over after he breaks up their fighting. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of looks him over real quick, and he says, uh, we start in the morning. Yeah, he said, because they ask, uh, Where, where's the facility? Where's the, yeah. well, well, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. And then he just points to a tree where there's some things hanging like bags and stuff and like supplies. that. Supplies. Supplies, yeah. he says, everything you need is right there. We start mm-hmm. in the morning. And they're clearly not the nature type. No. no <laughs> they're just very like, what the hell? You know, what are we, how are we going to sleep out here, you know? And he just leaves them. I, I don't really blame him because I used to think I wanted to live off the grid like a hippie. But I hate bugs and I hate the sun. and You hate everything else. I think I like living like kind of where we are now, like, you know, on private property. And I yeah. would like to have a big garden, but like I wouldn't want to live out. So like, you wouldn't want to do this little thing that no. they're about to do? Mm-hmm. Okay. no, I'd, I'd be acting like them. Oh, for okay. sure. Oh, probably even worse. Yeah. Take me back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But then we cut to uh, morning. And, you know, they're kind of waking up because they've all basically just slept on the ground. And they hear somebody scraping rocks. Joe's kind of starting a fire. Yeah, he, uh, Joe's building a fire. He's, like, cooking fish that he's caught in the water nearby. Yeah, he's he pulls a line out of the water and he's got fish, you know, on the line. I can't remember which one of them complains. Is it Dorsey that he hates fish? Yeah, one of them says that. I, I think it is him. And then they basically just start questioning him. And he wants them to learn. Yeah, and, he pretty much says that they need to learn to take care of themselves. Yes, they. he says, he, he basically has their records, their mm-hmm. profiles, and he says, you were given to me. Right, and you're juveniles in the prison system, and like we had talked about before, these are not juveniles. No, no, no. These are probably in their early 20s. Tells them they better learn to live out there or die. Basically, that's it. I mean, he... He says, you know, like I said, he says, you were given to me. Because he has everything on them. There's psychological profiles. Right. He has everything. So he knows. It's right. like he handpicked guys. Mm-hmm. Their personalities for whatever reason. And he picked them personally. And he and it's like you said, you learn to live here or you die. Or you die. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of starts showing them. He's trying to show them how to build shelter. He's doing that, but they're eating first. Oh, yeah, they're eating fish. They're eating the fish. And then he's over pulling some brush out from the woods while they're eating. And then Mm -hmm. they just kind of look over at him. And he holds up his knife and he says something like, One sharp knife can feed you, clothe you, and keep you warm at night. They just kind of run their mouths at him. And he wants them to clear the area. And, you know, they're basically like, Oh, you clear the area. Yeah, whatever. And he says, Well, if you slept very comfortable last night, that's fine (laughs) by me. 
Then it shows them sitting in the pouring rain. Pouring rain with these like little tarps over them. And Joe's like built himself a nice little little he's tent there. He's sleeping uncomfortable under his shed. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing good for himself. And then Moss, he's just looking over there. He's just you can see he's steaming. And then he just gets his knife and he walks over there. And I guess he's thinking that he's going to uh, kill Joe. Sneak up on Joe. He he pulls his knife, puts his knife to his throat. And says he better take them out of there. And then Joe just grabs him and literally just flips his butt Arm over. Flips him. And then disarms him at the same time. Yeah, he uh, just got tossed by Rambo. Yeah, he just got tossed. And <laughs> and Joe just uh, gets his knife and just sticks it beside him. And then, you know, that's pretty much the end of that. I think he just... I think Moss just realized, like, well, maybe I'm a little outmatched here. You know, so he... Uh, I think that's the last time he even tries to attempt anything like that. On Joe. Yeah, on Joe anyway. <laughs> and, and then it just moves kind of a brief scene of him showing them how to make citronella oil. Yeah, this is something to keep the bugs off. Yeah, because they're getting eaten up by mosquitoes. And then apparently JL has made himself a little tent like Joe had. And then uh, Moss comes over there and decides he wants to steal it for himself. Since uh, JL did all the work. But he turns around and he says it's not big enough for me. Yeah, but, Go build mine. Yeah, go, but go build mine. That's a bully. Yeah, and then uh, I guess Moss basically feels like JL's his little slave. And mm-hmm. like after he's built mine, maybe I'll, let, I'll loan him out to you and he can build yours too. JL's just kind of... Um you get that he's kind of tough, but maybe not like them. He's learned to take care of himself already, I think, in a lot of ways. He's good with, like, building things for himself. Well, you can see he's built bombs. Mm-hmm. So he knows how to do that. He's, I, I think I mentioned this later on, that he's, yeah. he's smart, you can tell. Well, that's what I kind of gather from him. I mean, he's just a smart, kind of quiet type who was just mm-hmm. in a bad situation. Yeah. And it kind of, you know. He's not using his intelligence for the right purposes. Yeah. Like he's he's making bombs and stuff. Well, yeah. Like, he could use it for something else, but he just, he's in the kind of environment that he doesn't have any like encouragement to do better and uh i guess after this point doesn't moss and ruben start fighting again over something it seems like i didn't write anything about that yeah i I think he just he he tells jl moss he just says oh when you're finishing mine you can build theirs too or whatever and then we kind of cut to night and they're eating soup yeah, they got this their little cups and they're eating stuff out of it and they're just wolfing it down. Yeah, and they like, like this it. is so good. And then one of them's like, What is it? And Joe's like, It's got like wild roots and veggies and snails. Yeah, like, like yeah, snails in and it. And they freak out when they find out it has snails in it. Yeah, and they're just sitting there, you know, they just run off and then there's like snails and there's like other um bugs in it for Worms. protein yeah, yeah yeah for protein <laughs> and uh then uh joe says anybody for seconds and then uh jl just <laughs> holds the like, cup yeah. out yeah <laughs> uh, apparently he's enjoying it he don't care what's in it moss uh just like well i'm just gonna go you know he just storms off i'm gonna go lay down and then he gets up under his little tent and then all of a sudden this little booby trap happens where mm-hmm. it grabs his leg and pulls him up into the air what by rope jail that. Yeah, JL sets that up and he's just sitting there just to stare <laughs> and everything and Moss is just raising hell and Joe actually looks over at JL kind of like uh, approving Good job, it. Up. yeah. Yeah, because it's like JL didn't do anything violent against him. Mm-hmm. He just showed him, hey, I'm hey, all, I'm, I'm not taking your shit. Yeah, I'm not taking your shit. Yeah. And I think that kind of impressed Joe right there mm-hmm. because like, no, I didn't use violence to take care of this. I just used like, hey, I'm the one step ahead of you. 
Yeah, I kind of like that. That kind of is one of the first signs that I think Joe's like, yeah, I might have some some other stuff to work yeah. with here. And it kind of moves like, I guess, later on. They're all asleep, and then it shows Dorsey sneaking out of camp. Yeah. Um, he's always trying to get away and well, escape. And once again, that's what he's trying to do here. And then we cut to today. Well, Joe, it shows him wake up and look, and he notices that Dorsey's leaving. Well, everybody wakes up and they notice he's gone. And Joe. And Joe's gone. And it kind of shows the scene that Dorsey's kind of moving through the water. And then it shows Joe's close behind him tracking him. And Darcy falls kind of out of the water onto the Yeah, embankment. Bank. embankment, yes. And there's a snake right near him. Well, he's laying there and all of a sudden hear we it. hear it, but we don't see it. We hear a rattler. And then he turns and notices and that rattler is like just inches away from him. How he didn't see it before he fell, I don't oh, know. I, know. I know he just is slowly trying to get up. Well, it's like he's doing his hand out. He's going to hit it away. Yeah. Well, I hope, dumb. which is, yeah, that could be what he was trying to do. I'm not sure. But then all of a sudden the thing strikes. Hits him in the hand. And then he starts screaming. And that's when Joe hears him. Yeah. And Joe takes off in the direction of the screams. And uh, Dorsey's like holding the snake. And Joe has like this like a uh, knife or machete in his hand. And then he just cuts mm-hmm. the snake in half. And he he brings uh, Dorsey back to camp. Well, it had showed before Joe gets there. Is like the guys are all trying to fish. But they're all trying to be the one that catches the fish. And they're all fighting with each other. Yeah. they're they're But here's the thing about it. They're trying to all catch the fish. They're arguing. But they are working, working as, a, together. as a team. And they catch a huge fish. Yeah, it's a pretty big fish. Yeah, yeah, so that was good. Yeah, and this is about time, I guess, yeah, you're right. This is about time uh, uh, Joe brings Dorsey back. He's, like, carrying him over his shoulder because he's, like, unconscious. Yeah, which uh, it amazes me he didn't die from yeah, that. Yeah, Joe says he's been bitten twice. And, yeah. like, shortly after, Dorsey kind of wakes up in some kind of snake bite freak out. Yeah, yeah, because they have to hold his tongue so he isn't swallowing his tongue. Yeah, and turn him on his side. Joe says he shot him up with some, I guess, anti-venom. Yeah. And he says he's got a 50-50 chance, you know, to survive. But then, you know, of course, you know, come to find out he kind of survives through the night. And yeah. he's going to be okay. Yeah, and then we kind of move to a scene that's like at a nightclub. Yeah, this is an... People ex- dancing. Yeah, we have uh, Let's Go Crazy yeah, by Prince play, playing here. And I was just wondering, did this seem like a very small club to you? Yeah. Or was it just me? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was just, I didn't know if that was just me, but that club seemed very, very cramped. Small. Yeah, very yeah. cramped. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I, obviously you noticed it too, so maybe it wasn't just me. And you see Nikki's kind of approaching a man. Yeah, and you're not really sure what she's uh, doing. doing at or the who moment. he is. Yeah, or who he is. I think but, the thing said he was alto. Uh, it might have been. And he takes her over to speak to these other men. Yeah. Which are Nestor's men. Yes. And then we cut to a scene of a car pulling into this big... Like compound. Yeah, house. Like gated compound. Now, actually, now that I think about it, this house looked like a house I've seen used on Miami Vice yep. a number mm-hmm. of times. So I wouldn't be too shocked Drug lords it. always had these houses. Yeah. I mean, that house looked very familiar to me. So I've probably seen it on Miami Vice a few times. Yeah. So she kind of comes in the house. And Nestor, there's a bunch of TV. He's like watching TV. Not one TV. Yeah, These are TVs stacked on each other. A whole wall of full t- of TVs. Yeah, I guess this is the equivalent of a big screen TV in the yeah. 80s. 
He's yeah. sitting on this big wraparound circular couch. Yep, he's got a with big his plate of cocaine. Yeah, this big tray of coke. <laughs> yeah, you know, some people have like fruit on a plate or snacks. He's got his plate of coke. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Nikki comes in, and you know he offers her a drink, and you know she kind of hesitates a little bit and everything, but then she's like, "I'll take a Perrier water." Mm-hmm. She asks, you know, mentions that, you know, she's having trouble finding... Does he know where Carlos is? He just is like, no. No, I haven't seen her. But then he ma- he makes a comment that he he knows her family's rich. She says she doesn't speak to her family and yeah. they don't care what she does. Yeah, she seems to be kind of on the outs with her parents. Yeah, it, it never shows them or anything. She mentions them several times, but... And he asked her how old she is and she says she's 16. Yeah, and then he just kind of gives her a look like... Yeah. You're not 16 so i guess they're implying she's even younger than 16 really i don't know she don't look no i took it as that she was 16 but he knows her family doesn't give a shit what happens to her well i looked at the opposite of that when he (laughs) said when she says 16 he was looking there like no you're not 16 yeah you're younger than 16 i yeah i couldn't tell he's always shifty well that's what i was gathering he just kind of, like, she asked him if he can help her find Carlos. Yes. And he says he will, but then he immediately turns around and tells her to go upstairs and take her clothes off. Yeah, and I'll be up soon. And he says, I got some things to finish up, and then I'll, he'll be upstairs. Yeah. You're like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, and then she hesitates, and then he says it again with a little bit more yeah. authority. You can remember him looking at her in the car earlier. Yes. Like, he's a little bit fixated on her, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if, if that situation with Carlos was a setup, maybe, so I, that he could get her. That's what I gathered. Even myself. though, if he wanted her, Carlos wasn't going to stand in his way. He'd no. just get rid of Carlos. Well, that's why I know. I mean, that almost got me to thinking that he disliked Carlos because he could have killed Carlos yeah. and just been done with it. Yeah. But instead, he sent him off, you know, yeah. just to... I guess maybe teach him a lesson. Maybe he felt like Carlos was getting a little too big for his britches or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you can read a lot into it. Yeah, so she's kind of in a... He tells her again, go up the stairs and take your clothes off. She gets and goes up there. With a little bit more force this time. I mean, what could she really do? She was kind of in a pickle. That was her mistake going and thinking that she had this kind of authority herself. She mm-hmm. didn't have people with her. She's alone. Yeah, she's alone. And that was her mess up there. She doesn't have anyone to protect her. And no. he doesn't seem like the kind of man to mess with. No, no, absolutely and she not. she knows that. She knows if she tells him no or whatever, it's just going to be worse for her. Yes. Because his guys are just sitting in the back, just like it's common uh, yeah. things that he does. Yeah, and if uh, she didn't do what he said, I mean, she would just been taken out probably and killed. Yeah. You know, they probably would have just raped her and killed her. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And then, of course, we cut to Nestor's room, and she's in there, and she's just kind of I like the music in this scene. Well, this is 80s music. This Mm -hmm. is very typical kind of 80s kind of Miami Vice kind of music. It plays this music quite a few times in the movie. She kind of goes in the room. There are, like, mirrors everywhere in this room. Yeah, it's, like, really kind of neon lights mm-hmm. in the room. And she opens this door, and there's, like, voodoo. Voodoo shrine. Yeah, there's a voodoo shrine in there. 
And she's kind of taken aback by it at first. Yeah, because it never really tells where this plays into the movie yeah. at all. Yeah, I mean, they kind of just mention it a couple times, and it, there's a little bit mentioned about it later on. But you never really know what yeah, the deal with this what is. what his involvement was. And I wondered if there were maybe some scenes cut out, or... That's what I was This is also Miami. Where you have a lot of Haitians. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of, like, in a lot of 80s Miami stuff, you always kind of saw voodoo would mm-hmm. come into it. Yes. A little bit. But you don't know where this plays into the movie at all. She just, uh, I guess she just realized she's kind of defeated. She, she kind of sits down on the bed and starts undressing and, like, tears are rolling down her face. Yeah. Bless her heart. She got herself into a pickle. Uh, like, a I wouldn't have went by myself. I don't know what he would have done if somebody had come with her. Yeah, I hate to say it. I wouldn't have went at all. I know, but I think yeah. maybe that was kind of a trap. He knew she would come to him. Well, and like I said, I think it was arrogance on her part, yeah. too. Because, you know, I think in a way she was a lot like Carlos, where she thought that she had more of a handle on things than she did. And it was a little bit too big for her britches, too. Uh-huh. And you and really don't know whether Carlos pulled her into this lifestyle or did she pull him into this? You never, like you never know, saw how they met. Yeah, you're or never, anything. you're never really clear on that. Yeah, you know, it just the the scene kind of ends, and you're kind of glad that you didn't see what happened. And then we cut back to the Everglades, and the group is gone out. I guess they're out getting their gear together, and they're going out to hunt. They're looking for like something, to, like animal to kill, or and they go around and they find some hoof tracks and you know it's like it's a joe you know, says it's a wild boar this boar he says that, not really good eating exactly well but, he's like most men don't hunt them because they're really mean yeah and you know they're not exactly good to eat but, but. i think by his expression he was kind of challenging them yes yeah. like what would they do yeah what would they do they're probably really tired of eating snails yeah oh, fish. well there you go there you go so they like come on let's go and they go after the the wild boar well they go after the boar but the boar goes after them yeah first. chases chase him up in the trees yeah yeah because that boar is coming after him and joe when it runs by he stabs it in the side with a spear yeah he stabs it in the side and, and it, it takes, takes off, off running again and then they jump down and then they're chase going it. after it and they kind of corner it in the in the brush and then they all just start, I think, some of them start pulling their spears up and everything. Mm-hmm. And then Joe just kind of hangs back and he's watching them because, once again, they're going as a team. They're working together. Yeah, they're working together. And mm-hmm. he just kind of lets them do it. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't show him kill it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, of course, we cut to night and they're, they're all eating boar. Eating some um, piggy. Yeah, eating some piggy. Then they're Joe, laughing with each other, and they're along in each other's company. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, I think they kind of felt like, you know, mission accomplished. We actually did something together. And Joe's just kind of looking around at this, and then he just kind of says, okay, it's exam time. He lays down a compass and a map. That's got a destination mark on it. It's got a destination it. mark on mm-hmm. it. And he says, um, you find me, He basically. just kind of walks and leaves them. And he walks, yeah, he just gets up and leaves they're and walks like, into Joe? He, Yeah, he walks into the <laughs> darkness and he's gone. And they're like, oh shit, what just happened yeah. here? Yeah, I guess this is their big test to see how much they've learned. And we see the next morning and they're in a boat. Yeah, they're in a boat and they're just kind of looking around. Well, and, they uh, keep saying that I've seen this landmark, landmark before. 
Yeah, it's like they've been going around in circles. They tell Darcy, look, or Dorsey, look at the map again, and he admits he can't read, so he's just been telling them. Yeah, so that's why they've been going around in circles, because he can't even read the map. Yeah, so they get pissed at each other, and, you know, just run, start running their mouth at each other again, and I think they get out of the boat. Yeah, they have to get out JL of the boat. Gets, JL's pretty good with the compass, um, and he's just kind of like their guide, like he's he's figured out where they need to go. He's like pointing for wherever they need to go because he's still not talking. Yeah, and this is a point where Ruben and Moss start getting frustrated and they're fighting over the compass. They're fighting over the compass and because they're being dumb, drop it in the water and JL gets pissed. And he finally says something. Stop! You know, stop it! And you know, everybody stops because he doesn't. This That's is the, the first, first time he's ever talked. And he's just like, tell them, we don't get it together. We're going to die he's out like, here. find the compass. Yeah. You know, we're going to die out here if we don't. And I mean, he's just like, it's basically him saying, you got to get your petty bullshit put yeah, aside. Yeah, quit all that. We got to get out of yeah, here. Yeah, we got to get out of here. You know, and I think everybody kind of snaps to it. Then I think it snaps yeah. them out of this. Like, yeah, you're, you know, you're right. We got to, right. we got to get this we gotta together. We got to work together and not fight each other. Yeah, exactly. Then it kind of shows like a little scene later where they're kind of walking. They're not in the boat anymore. They're just kind of walking through the Everglades grasses and they're just chopping it with machetes. Yeah. And um, they only have one machete, I think. Yeah. And it's a moss up up front and he's like chopping everything down and then he just kind of falls. And you can tell he's just exhausted from doing mm-hmm. it because it's like some heavy brush that he's chopping through. And then uh, Ruben kind of just says, helps him up, says, hell, come here, let me. Let me take over for a while. And he helps Moss up and then he grabs it. And then he starts chopping. Yeah, I like, and it kind of shows them moving on through the grass. And I I liked how they have to yell while they're chopping. Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah." exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like how I can't put eye makeup on without my mouth open. (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. Well, I never thought of that. But like I said, Dan, that's the first time you see kind of Ruben and Moss kind of seem like they're kind of putting yeah. aside their yeah. differences right there also. And it shows them again. It's like they're, it's nighttime. Yeah, they're, it's night and they're sleeping. And we, now this is the point. There, There's a bear. A black bear. A black bear. And, yeah, and it comes into camp and it chases them up in the trees again. Yeah, they're literally up in yeah, the trees they, in no time. They spend a lot of time in trees. Yeah, in yes, uh, very much so. And you know, it steals their food. And yeah. like, I was wondering about black bears in Florida and I actually looked yeah. and I Googled and it's common for them to be found okay. in the Everglades, yeah, south I, of Florida. Uh, that's what I was thinking too, because I, I remember you were saying you didn't think that that was I, accurate. I just I wasn't, I guess I don't know enough about Florida because I would think, you know, what would they be doing in like the swamps? Yeah. But they are, they're found in the south of Florida. So, yeah, so I guess that is. That's a legit thing. thing in the movie, I guess, then. Yeah. And then, of course, we cut the morning, and they're all sleeping in a tree. <laughs> yeah. And the bear's gone. I guess yeah. he got what he wanted, and he just moved on to greener pastures, I guess you could say. And then, of course, we cut back there, everybody, and they're moving further through the swamp, and you can tell that they're just beat down. They're, yeah, they're getting overwhelmed. Yeah. And, and it just seems like all, I mean, they're just angry because all they see is water and brush. That, and they, they run into a cougar. 
just kind of sitting on the ground. Yeah, but that cougar seemed not real heavy interest in no. because it just looks and then it just takes off. It's panting, so it's almost like it's tired too. Yeah. I think this is just kind of touching on how dangerous nature can be. Yes, that's what I was gathering too. Then they kind of keep on going through the grass, the Everglades, and they hear music. Yeah. Yeah, uh, cause, uh, so it's almost like they're about to give up, and yeah. you know, because Reuben is just about um, over it. Over yeah. it, yeah. He's he's about he's had his fill, and then all of a sudden, one of them's like, "Wait a minute, what's that?" Well, and, you can hear that. Yeah, and there's like it's music. It's music. Yeah, it's music. So they just kind of take off towards that sound. Yeah, and then they run into some kind of a uh, hoot nanny going it's like on an outside party or a concert, but it's like like maybe a Native American tribe. That's what I was kind of gathering. It's like, yeah, I mean, because you see airboats mm-hmm. parked and everything. It's maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's just like a get together they have once in a while because there's a band playing out. Yeah, and they got all these food, and they're stealing the food. They're breaking oh. in line and grabbing food. Oh yeah, and they got a big banquet table out there, yeah. and boy, they're just grabbing food, which you know I couldn't blame them. I would be probably too. And then they're just sitting there, you know, listening to the music and eating. And then mm-hmm. uh, I think. Um, Oh, Reuben kind of looks over and notices Joe is sitting over there. On a car. On a car, just looking over there their way. Yeah, and And they run up to him and they're like, Joe, you know, we made it, you know, and, you know, we could have died out there. Why did you leave us? Yeah, and then he he tells them, you know, you're the first to make it. But they're the actual, the first in this program. Yeah, the first in this program to make it. Yeah, and they're like mad because they're like, we're like guinea pigs or something. We could have died. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, I think he kind of implies though that there's been others, but you're the first. Yeah, you're the first ones to actually get through it. You know, then he uh, just kind of lets them know, you know, are you ready for Miami? You know, he said, I got us a house. And he said the program's moving to Miami. And it shows a scene of them driving through Miami. And I was surprised that the traffic was so light. Yeah, it was very it was light. like no cars. Yeah, very light traffic, which I feel safe to say is probably one of the more uh, outlandish things in this movie. Yeah, I'm wondering if they just shut this street down or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one I, I feel like exactly. And um, oh, a little whiny. But they're driving through, and this is like a very bad part of town. Yeah, it's very like rundown area. A house that he's rented needs a lot of work. Yeah, when they pull up to the house, it's it looks like a a slum, basically. And they look at it, and he like says, you know, yeah, I got it from the city. It's a dollar a year, you know. Wow. So yeah, well, I guess uh, I could try to figure out a way to make it work too if I was only paying a yeah. dollar a year for it. And he kind of, they kind of go in the house, and it's it's it needs a lot of work. And they actually find a bunch of. Haitian squatters? Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's Haitian squatters that are in the house. Just in the rooms, just sitting there. Yeah. Just hiding, I guess. Like whole families. It's yeah, like kids, oh, oh yeah, women, yeah. men. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's like families. Mm-hmm. And Joe kind of challenges the guys again if they think they can make it in Miami. Yeah, and they're all up on the roof complaining about, you know, all these people being in the house, you know, yeah. like uh, all the drugs and everything. Mm-hmm. And Joe asked them once again, I mean, you got what it takes to cut it in Miami. Yeah. You know? They kind of hear fighting downstairs. And then they go in, and what this place is, is basically, this is a house where there's squatters and there's drug deals that yeah, gets done. That drug dealers are coming in, they're making their deals yes. in private. And, and the drug dealers are trying to come up the stairs, and the Haitians are trying to keep them 
out. I guess the Haitians kind of look at it as their house, too. Yeah. So the guys, they kind of run the drug dealers off. But yeah. they let the Haitians stay. And yeah. I think that was what Joe, Joe meant for yeah. them to do. That was a test. Yeah. Would he let them stay? Yeah. Just because they didn't know them. Well, there you go. And also, the Haitians weren't a threat to no, them. they just... They're just squatting. have nowhere to go. Yeah, they have nowhere to go. Of course, you know, that's when you see all everybody out there cleaning up the place. Yeah. You know, they started trying to get the place renovated, make it look good. And about that time, we see, uh, the, I guess, the head dealer in, in the neighborhood, uh, Cream, pull up in his uh, car. He's kind of a pimp, too, I think. That's what I was kind of gathering. He he's probably kinda, got his hands in everything. Know, king of the street. Yeah, I think he's probably got his hand in everything. And then he's even talking to dealers out there. You like, you let all these kids run you out of mm -hmm. his house? Yeah, because he's, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's a big drug area. I mean, this yeah. is Miami. When I worked for a commercial insurance, we couldn't ride there. Oh, Because, really? I mean, they were tearing us up with the rider trucks full of drugs. So we pretty much priced ourselves out of the market so we wouldn't have to write business there. Mm, no. In Miami-Dade County, the whole county. Well, yeah. that, that's very telling right there. That's definitely So, I mean, telling. you know, you've got so much drug activity in those areas. It's just, and, and he just, Cream is kind of like the head of it all in yeah. that area. Yeah. He keeps saying this is his area. Yeah, it's her, his territory. His territory. Yes. And he wants them gone. And uh, then we kind of cut to a scene where Carlos is... Uh, getting dressed yeah, in his Miami Vice suit. Yeah, he's getting dressed. Well, it's not really a Miami Vice suit because he doesn't have that anymore. Well, it's a little bit nicer now, than he had. Yeah, it's a little nicer than he had. No, he don't get an actual suit until a little bit later. That's true. Yeah. He yeah. had that nice, at first, the pastel blue yeah. jacket, mm -hmm. silk jacket. Mm-hmm. But this, he just kind of has that. I mean, it's nicer than he was wearing, but yeah, it's, it's not, not what he had before. I yeah. guess he's going to go look for Nikki. Yeah, he says he's going to find Nikki. And it shows Carlos meeting up with that same man, I guess, Alto, that Nikki met in that club. Yes. And uh, he just wants to find Nikki. And uh, he says he doesn't know have a number, but he knows that she lives out in the Grove. And he has an address for her. Yeah, and he says, uh, well, before you leave, uh, let's go get you some clothes. Nicer clothes. You know, nicer clothes. And then it shows Carla's kind of coming out of the elevator. And I guess it's, these are like condos that she yeah. lives in. And in his nicer clothes, which yeah. is back to kind of the stuff that he was wearing at mm -hmm. the beginning of the film. Nikki kind of answers the door when he knocks and they hug and kiss. Yes, yes. Um, they, she tells him she missed him. And yeah, he's kind of just walking around. Yeah, he's like, whose place does this belong to? She says something like it's a friend of it's hers. It's a friend of hers that's out of town. And Well, he first asked her, did she get money from her dad to get it? And she's like, no. And then she kind of says, this is her friend's condo. And she's out of town. And then he kind of walks over to her, like her vanity with all her makeup on it. And there's men's cologne sitting there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, men's cologne? And I think he starts getting suspicious there after he sees that. And she kind of quickly grabs it and says that she wears it. You're right. Mm -hmm. So I think he kind of, and she kind of tells him that she's in the business now. She's working in the business. But here was my question. What was the business? It almost made me wonder if he she had her. She was a her, call girl. Yeah, that's what I kind of yeah. thinking too, that me she too. was a prostitute. And the men would come there to her. That's, that's what, what I thought. That's what I kind of gathered too. But even though, like later in the scene, he's coming up. So it's like he lives there. 
Or was he just visiting her? He was just visiting. I mean, that's what I'm almost thinking. Maybe she was a prostitute. He was either coming to collect from her or or something. Visit. (laughs) Or visit. Yeah, you're not really clear on that. So I think he kind of accuses her of sleeping with Nestor. And he calls her a puta and leaves. Yeah. And then she kind of chases him down. But then, of course, you know, Carlos runs into Nestor, who is just coming in. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were talking about. What was Nestor coming in there for? Yeah, because I would think he would live at his compound. He would be. That he was just coming there to either collect money or something. Because it seems like if he, like he would have her with him if yeah. she was his, or maybe that's the thing. Maybe he just set her up in her own place. I'm leaning toward that she was a prostitute. Yeah, because she said I'm working in the business. Yeah, but she yeah. didn't say what. They're kind of standing, Carlos and her are standing side by side and Nestor's in front of them and Nestor's like, Nikki, come here. Yeah. When she starts to walk by him, Carlos is like, Nikki, don't go. And she goes to him. And I guess that's kind of like, I done took your woman. Uh, uh, Basically, I've taken everything. Get out of here. Yeah, get out of Miami. You're not important. Yeah, you leave Miami. Yeah. Is basically what Nestor tells him. Mm -hmm. It's like, leave Miami or I will kill you. You know. And Carlos kind of walks out and leaves and Nestor kind of drags her upstairs. Well, yeah. uh, Carlos knows that he's defeated here. Yeah. He knows that, well, you know, there's nothing I can Mm -hmm. do. And to him, I think he thinks she went to him. And we'll talk more about this later because I had a big thing that I talk about in my notes. But I think it was a betrayal to him that she went to Nestor. But he's not thinking of the situation she's in. Well, but we'll talk for Yeah, yeah, we'll get that. into that in a little bit. And then we cut back to the to the house. I think this is basically like Ruben and Moss's old gangs have are meeting there, or making fun of them for painting the house. Then they kind of get in a challenge in each other who can paint better. Yeah, it's like you know, well, if y'all think y'all are any better than us, uh, you know, you come and do it. And then next thing you know, the gangs are helping yeah. paint and, and Ruben I, and Moss are sitting as, out there. Yeah, I kind of took this as kind of like how they would um, paint on walls yes. with graffiti. Yeah, so they were like, they're painting everything like pink and yellow. Very uh-huh. yeah, colorful. And you know, like I said, Moss and Ruben are kind of critiquing um, them. And then about that time, Carlos returns and you can tell he's... Uh, not happy. At yeah, all. I love um, Moss's purple net shirt in this. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's definitely very eighties. Yeah, right there. that is very eighties. I think it's like it shows. Um, a lot of the guys don't wear a lot of shirts in this movie. JL has a a long sleeve shirt on the whole movie, but he never buttons it up, and he never has a shirt under it. Well, I was going to talk to you about this later since you're the uh, fashion consultant <laughs> on the Movie Planet podcast here. Uh, what you got, thought of the... Yeah, he's got the the spiky mohawk hair. Yeah. I was going to get into what you thought of the styles of the clothes and the hair yeah. and everything in this movie. But yeah, we can get into that now if you want to. <laughs> well, I had just made a comment about oh, okay. Okay. Um, Moss's purple net shirt and that JL never buttons his shirt up. He yeah. always has a bare chest. It's like, where would you go... Dressed like that. Well, in the 80s, you went anywhere <laughs> I because I remember seeing people wear that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, Joe looks at, uh, I guess, Carlos and says, so you're back? And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah. He said, well, they need, we got a garden going. We can yeah. use your help, you know. And Carlos takes his shirt off and yeah. doing some gardening, looking all buff and handsome. 
And then about that time, we cut to a scene where Joe is sitting in his office. Yeah, he's meeting this man about funding for the program. Yeah, I, you're not sure, if, was this guy maybe like a probate officer? Yeah, something, something like that. that. This guy is the dad from Life Goes On. Yeah, he was in Miami Vice and stuff Bill like that. Bill Smithrich? Yeah, because he was in Miami Vice. He was on the TV show Millennium for a while. Yeah, I always remember him in Life Goes On. Because he was in the very first episode of Miami Vice. Yeah. Yeah, the very the TV movie. Yeah, he had a lot of credits. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, he's uh, Joe is talking to him. The, the program's know, coming up for 90 days, and they're going to need some more money. Yeah, and everything is funny. going well. This guy just basically tells him that this is just something we do, you know, to yeah. make things look good. You yeah. Know, uh, but we don't want to give you more money. Yeah. But, and Joe kind of gets in a conversation about that these guys have learned to take care of themselves and they've learned to work with each other. Yes. And live together in harmony when they were at each other's throats before. Yeah. He's telling them this program is working. Mm-hmm. It works. And then this guy mentions about like what happened before. This is the first time you got the hint, like, oh, yeah. wait a minute, something might, might have went mm-hmm. bad here uh, early on. Yeah. He uh, kind of mentions that if even one of the guys gets in trouble, yeah. even spits get caught spitting on the sidewalk, all of them are going back. But, you know, of course, they got this review that following Tuesday about yeah. the program. And mm-hmm. Joe, he tells Joe, well, uh, regardless, I'll see you there on Tuesday, you know, for this review. Then we go back to um, the house, and the gangs are outside, and they're just running rampant outside. Uh, it's like a big kind of fight going on. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, you know, it goes, you know, from him saying if he they get in trouble again to them directly getting in a fight that there's a Haitian woman out there that the drug dealers are trying to mess with. Yeah, yeah, you're not really sure what the deal is with uh, that. I don't know what they were doing with her. Yeah, I, mean, I, they I don't just, know either. They run out to try to defend her. Um, I think her grandfather or father comes out to defend her or something. And he's an old man. And they're pushing this old man around. And they go out and try to defend. And they start fighting guys. Carlos goes out with like a big stick. And he's hitting everybody. And you see Joe's kind of drives up. Yeah. He sees them fighting. And he tries to break everything up. And he's like, there's a better way to do this. And then directly after that. One of the street guys throws a bottle and hits Carlos right in the head. Yeah. Busts his head open. Yeah, because he just sits He reaches there. up and he brings his fingers back down and there's blood all over him. And I think that was kind of symbolism. That that's how it is on the street. Well, that you're always going to have blood on your hands. Well, it's blood on your hands and that this, these people drew first blood. blood right. You know. And so they got to defend their family. Yeah, they got to defend. So yeah. they all start fighting. Even Joe. Joe, Joe everybody yeah. starts fighting these guys. Yeah, and they chase they chase each other off. And I think Joe's just kind of... He didn't want to fight, but he's reluctantly yeah. fighting. And he's with, glad that what they did was that they defended those Haitian people like they were their family. He's disappointed in what happened, but he understands a lot what yeah. happened. That they did the right thing. Well, they did the right thing. You know, sometimes you do have to resort to violence. Right. It's just how it is. You're not going to get away with that. that they in didn't this area. start the fight, but they finished it. Yeah, there you go. And you're not going to be able to stay in an area like that and not know how to take care of yourself. Right. If, if anybody hears a lot of noise in the, the mics, it's our cat's having some kind of freak out in the chair. Yeah, she's been having a freak out for about the past <laughs> 10, 15 minutes. So. <laughs> Uh, She's having a grooming fest and then a flip around on her back. 
and yeah. everything. Basically trying to get attention. I think she's trying to fight. Well, she always is. She wants to be part of the band of hand. Well, she already is. She runs it. <laughs> she said the band of the paw. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but it then moves to kind of a scene of the guys are playing basketball at a local park. Well, this is, well, Joe, right before this, at the end of that scene, he just, you know, they seem to be pretty happy about what yeah. they did and everything. Mm-hmm. And then Joe just is like, you know, we just stay out of it. Yeah. Stay out of it. And then he just walks off. And then that's when we cut back a little bit later. And like you were saying, they're outside playing basketball. Joe's out there with them. They're all just playing basketball. Yeah. Not bothering anybody. Just doing their own thing. Getting some exercise. Uh, Cream rides up. Yeah. Cream pulls up with his, uh, I guess, his uh, henchman with him. He's pretty much this punk, you know, this park belongs to me. He yeah. probably does some drug deals there. Oh, yeah. And he's just basically telling them, you know. They're actually can. using the park for good. Yeah. To exercise and just have fun with each other. Well, yeah. And Cream just is basically trying to intimidate them. He mm-hmm. says, like, you get know, out of here. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah. He has a gun out on Joe. Guys pull guns. Yeah. And then Joe just kind of just raises his hands. Mm-hmm. Like he is like, okay, I'm going to give up. And before you know it, Joe's done disarmed cream and got him down on the ground with a gun to his head. And he tells him, get your guys to back off. Drop their guns. Joe's like Miami Rambo. Yeah, well, he's, uh, he like I said, he disarms <laughs> cream pretty quick. Yeah, and the guys take the guns. When the guys yeah. lay them down, they pick, he tells them to pick them up. Yeah, and then he tells Cream to tell his guys, all your guns. Then they start pulling out handguns, too. So that's when yeah. he tells all the guys, okay, collect the guns. Then it kind of moves, like, maybe later in the di- night. After that, he puts Cream back in his car, and he, oh, he gets him right. to leave. He actually tosses him because he, he has a car that's like yeah. a um, convertible. Mm-hmm. He just throws him in it. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, Cream's people get in the car and then they drive off and then Cream starts, you know, spouting threats as they're driving <laughs> off, which, you know, naturally you're going to do after you've been made look like an idiot like that. <laughs> then we cut back to the house and Joe's looking at a newspaper, newspaper clippings articles. and pictures of like two uh, two were killed at a robbery. And you see it robbery. says, it says program sh- uh, local juvenile program shut down for the two murders and it has yeah. like a picture of two guys laying on the street so apparently this program was enforced before and it it failed yes. because these two boys were murdered well yeah it makes me wonder if he tried something different with these instead of doing a thing in the swamps right. maybe he just took them to a house and he tried just, and they didn't have a chance to learn the other stuff yeah and maybe that was his yeah. revision on mm-hmm. that I mean you're not really sure and he's you know looking at this kind of stuff and then he hears the guys in there playing around with the guns yeah they're just going pew, 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 yeah. pew. they're being juveniles being juveniles 20 <laughs> something year old juveniles, juveniles yeah, yeah. And then he walks in there and just gets upset with their just lack of respect for the guns. Yeah, and he tells them, you know, you need to be respectful of guns because innocent people can die with them in your hands. And he tells them how he lost to others that yeah. were like them. And he tells them that they can um, they can leave if he want if they want to, because he says he's tired of losing people. I guess it's just basically, he's like, you know, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to clean up these streets. Y'all don't have to be a part of this because the rules have changed now. And he says, y'all can leave. I'll cover you in my reports as long as I can. And then they just are all like, no, we're not leaving. Yeah, they're all together there with him. You know, no. Then it kind of shows him use, teaching them how to use the guns. Yes. Almost like in a army way. 
teaching them how to work together. Yeah, it's like to, to um, like take care of one when they you know kind of cover the other one when one's running. You know. Yeah, I'm, like uh, basically you're covering the one person that you're with, and so on, kind of looking out for each other in a firefight, which will come in handy later on in the movie. Oh yes. Yeah. I think, uh, who is it that keeps getting hit with a paint gun? Carlos. Carlos, yeah, because Mm -hmm. he he just... Because he's just walking out. He's not paying attention. It's like, I'm better than everybody. Well, he still does have that mentality. Yeah, he's not, that he don't need nobody. Yeah, he's yeah he's kind of just... Bo- he isn't yeah. doing like some of the others who are kind of bobbing and weaving around and mm-hmm. trying to avoid gunfire. Yeah, and Joe hits him twice with a paint gun. Yeah. Like a paintball gun. He's just trying to make a point that you need to be out there with them, covering yourself and them. Yeah, because he says something like, basically, you've got one person that's going to be covering this side, taking everybody out. you got yeah. another person. He's mm-hmm. telling them everybody has got a part in part this. In it. And even Carlos, you've right. got to have a mm-hmm. part in this. Your whole point, because you're not only protecting yourself, but you're protecting everybody else. And then we cut to a boat. And this is Nestor's boat. And Cream is on there. Yeah. So you realize that Cream's involved with Nestor. Well, yeah, I think Cream is basically Nestor's... Street pusher. Yeah, he's a Nestor's, I guess what you'd call, shooter. Nestor provides the drugs and Cream sells them there you go. on the streets. Yeah, he's his distributor. Like several of his guys with them and he's talking about... The kids. Kids in that house that are getting in his way. Yeah, because they're, it's cutting down sales in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Tr- uh, dramatically cutting down And it sales. keeps like going over to Nikki's laying out in a bathing suit. Yeah, because one on. of the guys are keeps looking at her. He's staring at her because she's got her cassette player and she's over there laying out in the sun. You know, getting some sun. And I guess Nestor gets angry that the guy's staring at her and he just takes a knife and stabs him straight to the hand. And so it's just another scene like, oh, don't feck with Nestor. Well, he's he basically, Nestor in a nutshell, tells mm-hmm. him, you take care of these kids. I always kind of find it funny that Nestor looks like such a wimp. He's such a wimp-looking guy, but he's like the head honcho in Well, you've never obviously watched 48 Hours. He yeah. is mean really? in that movie. Yeah, I mean, well, he was like, mean in this movie. Well, yeah, but he's even meaner in 48 Hours. That's the one movie I always remember him in because he plays Albert Gans in that movie, and they're just basically these cop killers that just will kill anybody. Uh, but, yeah, he's very good in that movie. And the next scene here is Carlos is getting dressed. Again. And he tells Joe that he's leaving this time and he's not coming back. And Joe doesn't seem happy that he's leaving, but he's just like, Carlos is like, I've got another war out there. And Joe says it's the same war. Yeah, you're just... just you're, I think he thinks he should just stay there, fight the war there, but live a better life. Yeah. And, he, and give up that drug drug lifestyle. Yeah. And leave her alone. And, and, he, and he says he's just basically choosing a different side. But I think to Carlos, it isn't just about the lifestyle. It's about her. That's he what, wants her back. That's what I think I'm kind of gathering. And it shows him arriving at her condo. And that Alto guy's there. Yeah. I don't know. Is he like her guard? I, either or, or he kind of set it up. Now, was this the same apartment or yeah. was it a different one? It okay. I couldn't tell because the lighting was different. Well, it almost looked like uh, what happened is that guy brought her to his place. I didn't know if that was the same place. I don't know if they just were in a different room. 
That's why. Because before they were with her makeup and a vanity, like her bedroom. Yeah. And this was like the living room. Maybe that's what it was. I couldn't tell if this was the same apartment or not. I guess it doesn't really matter. No. She says to him that she's got $10,000 and they could leave together. He pretty much tells her she's a stupid whore bitch, whatever. And she tells him to go to hell. He slaps her. He about slaps her head off her shoulders. Yeah, he he wallops her pretty good. Yeah, I think he feels betrayed and... I mean, he kind of pissed me off in this scene. Well, that was... I know you kind of wanted to talk about this uh, little part of the scene. I felt like they had the scene before where he called her a puta, which is whore, and left. So now he comes back. And it's not like he's coming back to discuss why she was in that situation. Because he never gave her a chance to explain that she pretty much had nobody to protect her she was looking for him got trapped in the situation he doesn't give her a chance to explain that that she just didn't make the conscious choice to become a call girl or become that guy's mistress just for the money is that's the way he sees it that she's just living the life with the head guy that wasn't the way it was well no way. that was i have to admit what you were saying was my problem yeah. with this is the only scene in the movie i kind of have a problem with yeah because it's it's very neurotic the scene yeah it, he comes there to verbally and physically abuse her which i guess is the lifestyle that that have that's common ground i felt like he didn't give her a chance like i said to explain and it's like did he not know nestor at all loses his shit flips his shit because he just automatically assumes she's cheating and betrayed him but then again you can look at like the first things out of her mouth is offering money. That's true. And he even tells her, I don't want your money. I think she's been saving her money to leave. That's what I was kind of gathering, now that too. he's back, she wants him to leave with her. Well, I, I didn't care for this thing because it's very neurotic. It goes from him smacking her and calling her a bitch and her telling him, go to hell, to them having a sex scene. I don't know. It just it was a scene to me that never did kind of play right. I would have rewritten this scene differently if yeah. it was given to me. I would have liked to see him come to see her and be like, well, I still started. love you. Leave with me. You know, let's leave him behind. Let's let's run from Nestor and leave. I would have did it something like uh, he does come in and it starts as this argument like this. And she puts him in his place. She should just been like, you're going to listen to what I got to say now. Because if he comes in and starts arguing, you're going to listen. This is what I have been dealing with. This is what I've been through. You know, because, you know, he it's like, you know, he's been through a hell. This is the hell I've went well, through. Well, I guess all he sees is the fancy house yeah. and the nice clothes. He's keeping her up there. But what has she went through emotionally? And she's only a child. She has nobody to protect yeah. her. You don't know that he hasn't hurt her. I mean, you don't know that she hasn't yeah. been raped. Or he I hasn't mean, just turned her over to whoever. Well, that's why I think that she was being used as a prostitute. You know, that's what I do gather from mm-hmm. this. Yeah, like I said, this scene didn't quite work for me. It didn't I, gel right to me. I, I mean, I kind of got what they were going for mm-hmm. in a way but it didn't come off to me it was very toxic it was like because i have been in these relationships before where you you go from these extremes mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily the best for each other they kind of turn it into oh they're back together sex scene and it's behind a glass mirror a glass wall 
you can't see anything they're doing you just see movement yeah i know that was just kind of weird because of how this scene was done and then next thing you know they're doing the beast with two backs behind this uh <laughs> mirror thing they're shedding their miami vice outfit uh, yeah yeah and i don't know it's just like i said this scene i was just like what the fuck i would have slapped i would have slapped him back no. when he hit me it'd have been on well, that's like I said, when you hit somebody, I don't care who it is. I'll that's right. It's on. I don't bother you. You don't bother me. Yeah, this was just, this was a very dodgy. It just wasn't, didn't scream romantic to me at all. No. It wasn't uh, sexy. No. It wasn't romantic. Yeah. I mean, I just would have written this scene very Yeah, I was still like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. You were going to yell in my face, call me names, and then put your hands on me. Yeah, yeah, well, get out. Well, there you go. I mean, it was just a very awkward scene. And, and then all of a sudden, they're good. Yeah, and also, yeah, I don't know. It's just like I said, I don't know if this is a scene that maybe they just had to hurry up and shoot it and they just kind of had to do something on the fly because it seemed like to me you would even look at this scene and be like, eh, I don't know if this works. But like I said, maybe they were showing still what kind of a hothead he is that and they're very young and they're very young they're very young they haven't learned they clearly care about each other and they want to be together yeah they don't know how to process well that's feelings that's very the, well that's the other they're end young. i was going to come to i was yeah. going to come to okay maybe this is where they were looking yeah. at the scene these are young people right they still don't know how to show their emotions in a <laughs> yeah. right way I mean, that's what I'm looking at. So maybe they were looking at it from that angle when right. they were shooting this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if that was the case, then that was their choice to make. I guess maybe, and this could be cloud my judgment because they look older than what yeah, they are. They so are. maybe I'm looking yeah. at you should be a little more mature than this asshole. <laughs> but maybe right. they're technically supposed to be playing these as like 16, 17 year olds. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it just like kind of pissed me off. Like, he voluntarily came there yeah. to just yell at her. Yeah. I mean, I can totally see what you're saying. I, I mean, I, I mean, I always, when I see these problem scenes yeah. in these movies, I always try to look at it from two different angles. Yeah. Because it's you, not like he said, oh, I'm sorry that we argued before. Or even like, this where you want to be, is this the life you want? Or even, goodbye, I'm leaving. He slapped the hell out of yeah. me. Yeah. I, I didn't like that. Well, it's like I said, I mean, I always try to look at scenes from two different angles. Like I said, I don't know what they're going for. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you do look at it like they're young and Mm -hmm. it's impulsive kind of thing and it's just very passionate and very angry. It's like I said, if it was me doing this scene, I would have done it a little bit differently because, I mean, I will give her credit as a character. She does develop a lot more backbone as this film goes through. Because to, to even think about leaving Nestor and leave, and she obviously was planning that she's been stacking money to yeah, the side. Yeah. But now that Carlos is back, she asked him to go with her. But I think she was probably leaving on her own. Yeah, that's what I gather too. Yeah, I just felt like this scene, and this is rated R, isn't it? Why did they just have a straight out sex scene? I'm not sure. Why did it have to be behind glass? Because it was more stylized. I guess artistic. Uh, yeah, artistic yeah. scene. I guess that's my best guess. I'm not really sure. As we go into, when we get into the trivia, we will find out there's not a lot on this movie. So, I know. So, but. I, I, I kind of wanted to see some angry makeup sex. Well, it, it was supposed <laughs> to be more of a stylish kind of, because uh, Miami Vice, they did scenes like that yeah. in those various kind of ways. But I could kind of see maybe what they were going for. I don't think yeah. it completely came off. Yeah, I saw it as a woman. 
that he came there to be an asshole to her, and he had no idea what she did for him. Yeah, and that's the problem that I have with the scene. You're not. Re- I I wish that would have been spelled out. Yeah. To him directly, saying, you know, you went through hell. Yeah. And then you know, because I Thank guess he you. felt like he went through hell, and he finally got back to her, and that's what she was doing. He felt betrayed. Yeah, but, it's, but instead she, he just attacks her. Yeah, but she he didn't sit there and even think about realizing what kind of hell has she went through yeah. since he was gone. He has been learning to be strong and learn on his own, and she's completely a victim. She doesn't have a family that cares about her. Mm -hmm. He turned his back on her, and he just left her alone. I mean, I guess, you know, the situation was kind of a bad thing. He couldn't really take her with him. No, no, he would have been killed there. And and she she would have probably been killed, too. Yeah, and she's completely scared of Nestor. And for good reason. I mean, it's just, it's like I said, I wouldn't yeah, have done this scene. Yeah, not my favorite scene. Yeah, I wouldn't have done this scene the same way nope. as well. I guess they had their perspective on it at mm-hmm. the time. And, you know, it's like I said, I... Just show anger towards each other and then make up. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and like I said, and that's pretty much what happens, you know. And then we have, uh, what is it, the uh, Broken Wings song <laughs> yeah. from uh, God Who Did That Song. I heard that song so many times when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Mr. Mister, I won't say. I could be wrong. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. But, and that's uh, where we end at. And I guess uh, right here, we're going to take a break. Mm-hmm. And then when we come back, we will uh, go into the conclusion of Band of the Hand. sliding door nationwide victims yeah this is will graham of the fbi one killer this is what the subject's teeth look like I guess we cut back to the house and all of a sudden a big 
firefight starts. Uh, Dorsey yeah. is up on the top of the house and well, he's got a gun. You see cars yes. that down on the street. Yeah, and they start start driving by and just start a drive by. Yeah, it's like on an the house. opening fire on the house. And these are Cream's men. Yeah, and Cream is there with them. Yeah, and the guys kind of start gathering their guns up. And they start gathering guns, you know, I guess to protect the house and protect the uh, Haitian uh, people mm-hmm. that are inside. You know, they go outside and it's just like a big firefight. Yeah. It just ensues from this. Then it kind of goes to a scene of Nikki and Carlos driving in a car. Yeah, it's like they're, they're just leaving Miami. They're leaving they're, they're together. Leaving. They're, they're, they're yeah. going. Nikki starts telling him about that incident on the boat earlier. Tells him about how, you know, there's a... Uh, a hit going down the night. On a house on some guys. And, and an Indian. Yeah. And the she Indian. she tells him about Nestor stabbing that guy through the hand for looking at her. Yeah. And that's when she kind of goes into that whole thing. Yeah. And Carlos just looks like, uh, what? Yeah. He and, realizes it's their house. Yeah. He, yeah. You know, once he hears about the kids and then an Indian, he realizes, oh, they're mm-hmm. about to get hit. So he just, I guess, U-turns the car in the road and then takes back heads off. Back. Heads yeah. back into Miami. Goes back to the house and they're fully under attack now. Yeah, um, and you know Joe's outside. Just you know, like I said Joe's holding his own. Yeah, he's taking their cars out and everything else, and taking out some cream uh, soldiers. And then uh, the other guys come out and are joining in. Carlos, you see him pull up in in the middle of the firefight. Has Nikki get out of the car? He, uh, further up from where the fight is, he lets her out so she'll yes, be safe. Yeah. And then he takes the car and just like basically runs up, has it run up toward another car like playing chicken. He jumps out of the car and then it hits this other car and it just flips. It hits Cream's car, It's isn't Cream's it? car. Mm-hmm. I believe it is. And it catches on fire. Yes. And it shows that the house is caught on fire too. Yeah. I mean, from the firefight that's going on, the house is on fire. I mean, it's just like, it's just Burning. like a war zone. That yeah. was going on out there. I mean, this this is a pretty good little action scene kind of a uh, firefight going on here. Joe uh, looks, you know, kind of checks everybody over and everybody's yeah. okay. And, uh, you know, he sees that Carlos has uh, came back. You know, the car sitting there on fire. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the back door opens. And you see Cream getting out and he's not dead. Yeah, Cream's not dead and he gets out. And, and uh, J.L. looks over and tells Joe to look out. And then Joe turns around and pushes uh, J.L. and everybody outside away. And then he starts firing at Cream. And Cream starts firing at him. And they both hit each other. I think that would have been a good scene for J.L. to speak the very first time. You think so? Like him and go the whole movie, not speak. I could kind of see that. But in a way, I did like the scene where he finally yeah. does, too. Yeah. Because it kind of just shows that of who he is. And he just wants to survive. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, I mean, I could see what you're saying there, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I could, you know, I did prefer where he actually did. But, of course, like I said, Joe's hit and Cream is hit. Cream falls down dead and Joe just falls yeah. against a car and, and then he's, he's dead. And he's dead. And the guys are upset that Joe's dead, but you can hear the police are on their way. And Carlos tells them to get the Jeep and they're leaving. Because if they stay, they're going to get arrested. It's going to look like they did all that. And they'll be back to where they were. Yeah, they just uh, grab grab the guns, get Mm -hmm. a Jeep, and then they're gone. They're they're out. Yeah, because you're right. If they were to stick around there. With their histories, they would have just snatched them right up. Yeah, they would have been guilty. Yeah, been going right back to jail. Yeah. I mean, no questions asked. And it would look like they killed Joe. Well, there you go. 
And it would look like it was just a rival drug war there. Mm-hmm. And then know? they they really haven't gotten any better. No, exactly. They're still who they were. Yeah. So that was their best uh, call to make is to just just take off. And it shows them kind of near, near the Everglades, and the, they're taking Joe's body back to his people. Yeah. Because he's an Indian, right? Yeah. I guess these are maybe like Seminole or. Some kind of ever, oh. you know, in tribes that would have lived in the Everglades. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure about that, but they're giving him like some kind of ceremonial kind of funeral. Yeah. You know, he's kind of burning up on a, um, on a pyre. On a, that would have been their burial process. Yeah. And, you know, all of them are just there, just, they're just watching mm-hmm. the ceremony and watching, you know, him uh, burn up there. And they kind of decide to go their separate ways. Well, yeah, they just all are just disband. Mm-hmm. They're out there in the street and everything over near where the house is. And, you know, each of them kind of walk off and go their separate ways. I think Dorsey gets the Jeep and he takes off. That's the end of the band for the moment. Yeah. But then we kind of cut to some shots of inside the house. They and then, all end up kind of back And then first there. we see JL. JL. And then we see Carlos and Nikki and Ruben. And then Mm -hmm. they all, it's like they all just like had this instinct, no, we got to come back. And and they did. Because it just, that's one of the first points that you see that these people depend on each other now. They used to be at each other's throats, but now they They want to be with each other. Yeah, they realize that they're part of each other. Yeah, and this is where one of them says that they're the all the fingers on a hand, they're the band of the hand. Yeah. They say the title of the movie here. And, well, they find out, you know, they're looking around at some of the stuff, and they find out Joe was like a war hero, yeah. and it shows him there mm-hmm. with some of the um, people that he was fighting with. It's like a band right. that he had. And uh, then Nikki kind of looks around, and this is the second time where does the voodoo thing point yeah. out, because she says this is Nestor's mark. He's, it's this red symbol on the wall. Yeah, it said that he's that that's a sign that this is his and he's been here. And she knew about that, so there was something there, but it just never explained that. Yeah, it yeah. Never... And what what was it? Um, she talks about. I think it's. Uh, I think it's her. She says that cream was the gun, but Nestor was the shooter. Yeah. Because. She said, basically, Nestor was the one that wanted you dead. Mm-hmm. Cream was just the guy to do he it. He got to do it. Yeah. And that's when they all just are like, you know. We need r- to go after band. Nestor. Yeah, yeah, we're band. We're five. We're like fingers on a hand. And, yeah. You know, and they band have to rely, rely yeah. on each other. And then they kind of touch hands together. And then, yeah. you know, like, okay, they're about to. Go after Nestor. Yeah, they're about to go after Nestor and take him out. Then next, we cut to Nestor in his car. And, you know, kind of talking. He's talking about this big deal he's got coming up. Yeah, there's a big drug deal coming. Yeah, with this uh, new Cuban, yeah, Cuban I, cartel guy. I believe it's something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then he tells this guy, as far as Nikki, he says, you know, you find her, you do what you want with her, and then, then kill, kill her. her. Yeah. And then the guys kill them. Then he said, kill them, too. I think so, yeah. And yeah. he said, they're not important. Yeah, I think that's what... I think he's more focused on Nikki. Them, I think he feels are not an issue. Yeah. Even I feel though, like he feels like she betrayed him. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what it is. She dared leave him. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like his property. That's what I kind of gathered from yeah. that. 
And then, of course, you know, as uh, Nestor's in his, uh, I guess, his stretch limo, whatever it is, he doesn't realize that these guys are following, following him and his van, kind of getting to know, I guess, what his routine yeah, is. Yeah, and his drop-offs and... And getting to kind of know what he's doing yeah. so that they can get a feel for it. They end up at the place, I guess, it's producing the drugs. Yes. And it, it's got a sign on it that it's a medical clinic. Yeah, I think it's used as a front, like a old medical clinic. Mm, but or it's something. actually a but drug. It looks more like a compound yeah. in a way. Yeah. That's, that's what I was always thinking. It almost looks like a, like a compound, but it's like, I guess it's disguised as like a medical clinic right. or some kind of just uh-huh. to cover their asses. So they look legit. They carry the, they follow the vehicle that's carrying all the drugs from that place. And the, I, that not that where they get back to his compound? I believe that. And they start kind of assessing the area, like how they would need to attack. Yeah, they're just kind of looking around at it and just kind of, you know, because you see them like just kind of checking out the mm-hmm. areas. And, yeah. Okay, here, this is what way this mm-hmm. is all laid out. And I think, don't we go next to a scene where it's JL and Nikki in this supply store? Yeah, they're getting stuff to make explosives. But they're telling the cashier that they're gardening and doing all this stuff. They're trying to get rid of these creatures in their backyard, these critters. Well, yeah, because Nikki's about to pay for the stuff. And then this guy says, what are you wanting all this for? And then yeah. Nikki kind of looks like, oh, shit, yeah. how are we going to explain our way out of this? So JL pretty much explains what they're doing, but not that they're making explosives. Yeah, he just basically says that they're building a garden and they got yeah. this stuff to keep out pests and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and he was like, I don't believe you. He was like, armadillos is what you need to wear. Yeah, he says <laughs> like, somebody like gophers or something. Yeah. Trying to keep go- There's no gophers around here. It's armadillos. Yeah, and this guy's just going on the whole thing about yeah. how you get rid of all that kind of stuff. Is they're trying to just beat be their Leave. feet out the door? Yeah, yeah. he just want, he just likes the sound of his own voice. I think that's what I was kind of gathering. From He's this. still talking as they're walking out. Yeah, and now this guy behind the counter, he was in a number of episodes. I think he was in one of the last episodes of the show. So he he kind of popped up on the show pretty regularly. So it goes back to them. They're kind of getting ready to attack. Yeah, they, they're building this stuff, but they got a layout. And everybody is saying, okay, here's what I'm doing. This is my position. Right. And each person is saying, okay, well, and you. And yeah. I'm, I'm doing this right here. So basically, everybody has got their objective that they got to take care of. Mm-hmm. And they even said that even if this all works out, we got a one in five chance of this of working yeah. and living through this. And you also see a scene of that big Cuban drug lords arriving in a helicopter at Nestor's compound. Yes. That drug deal's about to go down. We, I guess we cut two night. They are outside this compound and they're kind of cutting the, the fence. fence to get and inside. They brought a yellow lab with them. A dog. Supposedly that's in heat to try to distract the Doberman guard dogs. Yeah, because that's one of the things they noticed that there was guard dogs yeah. while they were. Uh, so they think they can bring a female and they'll chase her. Which they do it they do. and it works because the dogs basically run out and chase this dog and this dog takes off. And then we cut inside and that's where Nestor is showing this facility off to this client. Yeah. You know. And they're uh, drinking champagne. Yeah. So like I said, just showing this uh, new client like, hey, I got everything under mm-hmm. control here. Yeah. Everything is good. And of course, we come to find out very shortly that he doesn't. No. JL's kind of, um, he sneaks kind of closer into the building and he's 
doing like a smoke bomb near the ventilation system of the house. And he's pouring like, it's a smoke bomb, but he's like putting powder yeah. in there with it too. There, I think that and it starts coming through the vents where those drug guys are down there. I think they're just trying to chase him out of the house and smoke the house out and they'll come out. Then all of a sudden, lights come on. Guy walks up and he sees JL yeah. kind of stoop down. Oh, that's right. And then he tries he to... fires at JL. Or, yeah, and then Carlos, I think, takes him out. You know, because he's... Carlos is up high with a sniper rifle. Yeah, he's rifle. kind of the best shot out of all he's of them. He's one of the best shots. Yeah, yeah, or the best shot. Yeah, I can't argue with that. And then all of a sudden, these lights come on. And they're all out there like, oh, I guess they didn't know that. And then they didn't know even more so... The when thing. this Gatlin gun, they have a Gatlin gun. Yeah, they have a Gatlin gun, and it's tearing up the ground. Everything near them, they're yeah. just running out of the way, trying to hide. yeah avoid this. And Carlos takes out the guy that's shooting the Gatlin gun. Yeah, uh, he takes out one of the guys that's shooting it, but uh-huh. then another guy gets in there and starts and continues where this other guy left off, and they're just trying to cover. And kind of just bob and weave around to try yeah, to avoid this gun because yeah. it, Gatlin gun will tear anything yeah. up that's around you. And I think finally, JL, he has like a bomb. And then he gets up there on top and where the Gatlin gun is. And he throws a bomb in there where the Gatlin gun shooter is and blows it up. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the use of the Gatlin gun. Yeah. Uh, JL jumps off of the side of there and then he hurts his hurts ankle. Hurts his ankle. Yeah. And then some of the other guys kind of try to grab him and round him up. Now, my question is, uh, I'll have to come to that here in a little bit. But there's something about the big finale of this. But, you know, the firefight kind of continues onward. And Ruben is shot. And you see I thought it was on... No, I thought it was Dorsey. No, it was Ruben. Oh, it was Ruben? Yeah, okay. Ruben is hit in the shoulder and he falls. And of course, who comes to help him? It's Moss. The so one he was fighting with yep. uh, during the whole movie. And now they're kind of like, you know. And that the, means a lot. Yeah. Well, because yeah. Because they've come so far. Well, you know, you could kind of see it early on too when they were, their gangs were fighting outside he the house. He would have left him behind yeah. in a second. He helps Ruben get up and help, is helping him uh, get away. And all this time, I'm like, where the heck did Nikki go? Well, that's what I'm getting to right now. Yeah, we come I'm to find like, out. Carlos is like not even worried where she's at. Well, we find out, you know, right before they go in, she's outside and she's got a machine gun. Yeah, I think he left her on the outside of the fence. Because you notice during this firefight, she's outside the fence shooting people from the mm-hmm. outside too. So they put position her outside, so she's getting into the. Well, she's helping in the firefight, but she's probably a little more protected than they yeah, are. Yeah, she's not right in the middle of it. Yeah, and this is about the time, you know, Nestor has gotten out, and she, he's trying to make a getaway. He and runs then into her. He runs into her. I guess she's run out of ammo for her machine gun because she's got a shotgun now. Yeah. And he walks up to her, you know, and he acts like, you know. He, think, he acts like he still has control over her, and like he's like, give me your gun. Like, he puts his gun down. But he's like, give me that gun. Yeah. And he thinks she's going to give it to him. And she's looking at him like she's scared of him. Like it's this moment like, oh, you know, a face-off finally with him. Well, yeah, she has this kind of look on her face like you don't know what she's going to do. Because, like, he's close enough to grab the gun. And she shoots him. Yeah, oh, yeah, she shoots him point blank right in the stomach. But I think it was kind of good that she killed him. Well, it made sense for her. Yeah, I guess. He kind of hurt her most, I think. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I do kind of see that of course the rest of the guys get out of the compound they tell jl to blow yeah. the place and then of course you know he pulls this detonator and blows everything up now the question is is i can't recall seeing him set, set all that up 
I, yeah. I don't remember him sitting I guess he around did. everywhere. I yeah. mean, maybe that was just something. He was just kind of tossing them places. Well, maybe that's what it was. I, now, I thought I did see him like tossing stuff around. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what At it was, times, but I never did see him like setting up detonators. Because this blows the whole house charges. up. Yeah, I never did see him setting charges up. And I was just wondering, I'm like, did I miss that? Or maybe he, it was like you were saying, he was just kind of, as he was like moving over there, he was like putting no, just throwing stuff show, around everywhere. Yeah, it blows the whole house up. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, it blows it up Yeah, really good too. I mean, it just, yeah, it levels I mean, that place. the sad thing about reality is there's, they took Nestor out, but there's probably five men waiting to take his place. Well, that's the thing you about know? it, yeah. That's the drug world. Well, that's it. I mean, you take this one person out, there's going to be other people waiting to take his territory. And there, and yeah. really what you're going to do, I wrote, there's a screenplay me and a friend of mine, Laney, wrote years ago. It was like a cop kind of thing where they take out a big drug dealer. And yeah. I had this idea I was writing for a sequel where what happened is, yes, you take these big dealers out, but the downside to it is you cause an even bigger problem because then you got a bunch of gang wars going on where everybody's fighting for this territory that's up for grabs now. Mm-hmm. So you've basically taken a bad situation and made it worse. Made it worse. And that's kind of what would almost happen Whereas here. Whereas you only had one person to deal with before, now you have many people to deal with yeah and that's kind of the thing that would probably happen here but of course you know you got to look at this maybe like okay it's blown up evil's punished and then that's it in the moment they're relieved well and also i think for them it wasn't about stopping the drugs i don't think you're ever going to stop they just want to get him him out yeah i think it was just taking him out i don't think it was they realized that no we're not going to stop the drugs or anything but we can it's miami yeah yeah you're not gonna stop that there then we cut to them all in the Jeep just driving away. And there's, you know, you can kind of still hear the explosions and stuff going yeah. off in the background. And then they run into this like road check or yeah. kind of checkpoint. You know, there's cops and everything there. And they really do just look like a car full of kids. They well, don't look like they were involved. Kids in their 20s. Yeah. And he, the cop asked them, what are they doing out there? And well, they first say that like, what's going on. What's going on? Going on? Yeah, yeah, we hear we hear a bunch of explosions over yeah. in that area. Um, and the cops like, I don't know. He said, Well, where are y'all going? He said, Well, we're just headed into Miami. We're going to jam. To jam. Tells them not to get drink too much. Yeah, he says, uh, Y'all go ahead and don't drink too much. And they're like, Good night, officer. And drive they, off. they drive off into yeah. wherever they're going. I guess they intend to stay together and. Well, it's left very open. You don't know. Yeah, and I think earlier Carlos had said that they could do anything they wanted. You know, you just kind of hope that they lived better lives, you know. They learned what Joe taught them, and they went on and got a second chance and went away from all that. Well, yeah, and that's pretty much the end of the movie because the mm-hmm. credits roll, and it makes me wonder, what do you think would have happened Yeah, like after a, this? I mean, do you say, okay, let's say they made a band of a hand, too. Yeah. What would that be? I think they would have stayed together. I think maybe Carlos and Nikki might have split off a little bit to do their own thing. And if they even stayed together because well, they're be. so young. I'm almost thinking if there was a sequel, it'd almost be like the A-Team. Where they're like, you know, staying at this house, but then maybe they are going out and taking out drug deals and things I would like have that. loved to see Moss and Ruben start a business together. Start a business? <laughs> yeah, some kind of business together and... Like, are very involved in each other's lives. Well, I mean, yeah. A lot of their business associates. Yeah. 
yeah. I don't know. I almost, yeah, I kind of thought it would be something like, you know, if, I, if this was like a big hit, which it was not, you know, and it would have been something, like I said, almost like an A-team thing or like the Equalizer or mm-hmm. something like that. Because yeah. this almost movie does almost play like a TV pilot where, you know, you would go into a TV series and every week these kids get into some kind of thing, like mm-hmm. going after drug dealers, going after prostitution rings and things yeah. like that. That's what I kind of thought that if they did a sequel, it would be something like that. Like, okay, we got this guy. Now we got to go after the others. It would have been cool if one of them became a cop. I think it was Darcy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it'd been hard to say. I mean, the downside, yeah. Well, I mean, how this movie plays fast and loose with the rules, I guess you could. Because I think technically you can't become a cop. You can if you have a hit record. Yeah. Yeah. But didn't they wipe the record clean? Because he I didn't have a record. I think that was the case. Did they were they even on the file anymore? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's one. That, well, and that's another question you just mentioned that I can't remember. But if they didn't have a record anymore, how could they have went to jail? It'd been new charges. Yeah, it'd been new charges. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, as like I said, this movie plays flat, it didn't fast, really and loose. Say, with, with because the remember when when they got to Joe after getting out of the Everglades, they're like, "Well, are we done here? Is it over?" Like, their records are clean. They passed. Yeah. And he said, no, it's not. So, obviously, they had to make it through the program. Yeah, that's what I was gathering, too. As I said, I mean, like I said, I guess there was a number of ways you could have went with a sequel on this. But, like I said, I mean, that pretty much wraps up the film right there. Yeah, I guess we'll never know what happened to the band of the hand. No, no, I guess, like I said, you can just speculate. I guess, if anything, we'll go ahead and do our uh, behind-the-scenes stuff and the trivia now. If you want to go ahead and do yours, I have very little. So, I'll let you go and do yours. Okay, there's, yeah, there's not much. This film was released in theaters, but only after it failed to air as a pilot for a network television show. Now, now here's the thing about that. I heard that is a rumor. One of the things I read is they said this was never intended as a TV pilot. I don't see it like that. Yeah, um, because a lot of people have said that, and I think some of the producers at the time was like, no, this was just an idea for a movie, and they thought, well, yeah, we could do this as just a good kind of lower-budget action movie, and that's kind of how it happened. This was, I don't think this was ever intended to be a TV pilot, even though it feels like one. The producers worked out a unique deal with Miami Beach officials, ensuring that when shooting was completed, the production would leave the area repainted and refurbished exteriors of Art Deco homes, the park, and various other structures in an infinitely better condition than when they first began to work there. As a result, there was a playground built that was fully landscaped in Collins Avenue at 2nd Street in the south end of South Miami Beach. So they were in Miami Beach. Michael Carmine, who played Reuben, who appeared in Miami Vice 1984 as Snake, Carmine was a respected actor, and his sudden death from heart failure at age 30 shocked the acting community in 1989. That's only three years from here. The destruction of the cocaine processing factory by the band required three contingents of firemen, hundreds of extras, eight Doberman painters and their assorted trainers, dozens of stuntmen, and the invention and precision of a team of special effects personnel so that the band became the heroes that executive producer Michael Mann so specifically describes. The climax was shot over a series of five consecutive nights. Carlos is played by Danny Quinn, son of Anthony Quinn. Oh, I didn't realize that. While Nikki was played by rather young Laura and Holly, the two were actually married in real life in 1991. Her very public 1994 divorce included accusations of abuse. Really? (laughs) 
and had him claiming that her careless spending squandered their fortune and her accusing him of infidelity and refusing to work. A few months later, she met Jim Carrey on the set of Dumb and Dumber, and they were secretly wed for a total of 10 months. I seem like I remember when she got yeah. married to Jim Carrey, but I didn't realize she had just gotten out of a relationship or she had been married uh, before. Yeah. I didn't really know much about her before that time. Because she divorced him in 94 and then married Jim Carrey in 94. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> When Michael Mann, executive producer of Miami Vice, was first presented with the concept of this film, he found it so exciting that he instantly agreed to become its executive producer, without even having seen a first draft of a script. Within three months of his initial meeting with TriStar Pictures, Mann had worked so successfully with the screenwriters and first-time collaborators Leo Guerin and Jack Baron that the film was ready to roll in Miami Beach, Florida. Principal photography began on September 30th, only four months after man's first meeting with TriStar. Leon, which is Moss, shot the international fame when he appeared in Madonna's music video, Like a Prayer. Oh, I knew that was him. There you go. After yeah. his star turn in Cool Runnings 1993, alongside John Candy, he opted to drop his last name and work simply as Leon. I think his, his name is Robertson or something. But when in his thing, it just said Leon. Oh. I thought that was weird, but that explains it. Let's go down here. After the dangerous and drenching days filming in Florida Everglades, the cast and crew were delighted to shoot matching sequences in the still wild but less treacherous and deserted Crandon Park Zoo, Miami's original zoology, zoological park on Key Biscayne. I don't know how to pronounce that. Director of photography, Ronaldo. Villabas was able to match his wet, liquid, hot look first achieved in the Everglades in this subtropical garden of Crater, Crander Park. That must be where all the animals were. That's what I was thinking too. Nestor James Raymar's extravagant lifestyle is supported by the underbelly of Miami Beach life. Executive producer Michael Mann said that cocaine dealers are anything but small time but are heroes. The kids in their life is what Band of the Hand is about. Their life on the skids is flamboyant and full of color, but it's not four million estates on islands in the bay. That's not their life. Nestor, state-of-the-art cocaine processing factory built amid the ripening avocado trees in a Florida city grove, was a setting for the last five days of the shooting of the movie. Also, they shot all that stuff right there at the end. Well, I guess that does kind of make sense. During 1997 divorce of his father, Anthony Quinn, Danny Quinn testified under oath that he had, in fact, abused, physically abused Lauren Holly during their rocky marriage. He testified that I would grab her, I would punch her, I would kick her. It was awful. <laughs> there were times I really wanted to hurt her. During the ugly divorce suit between Anthony and Alonda Quinn, I guess that's his parents, Danny also testified that his Academy Award-winning dad beat his mother. Theatrical directorial debut of Paul Michael Glazier. Didn't he do Running Man before this day? I think Running Man was 87. Oh, so this is after. Yeah. So this is his first. Because he directed uh, some episodes of Miami Vice to, I think, a couple of them, I think. Film's theme song with narrative close to the pilot of the movie was composed and performed by Bob Dylan, backed by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. The music video for the song is composed entirely of stylized clips from the movie that most, mostly match the lyrics. I'd have to watch that. Yeah. I'll just do 
the factual errors. There's there's not much on this movie. Yes. Factual error. Nikki fired two rapid fire shots from a pump shotgun without reloading. Oh, uh, cocking the gun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Revealing mistakes. When Danny Quinn rushes the gangbangers in the park, the shovel he wields is clearly made out of rubber, and it wobbles when he starts running with it. <laughs> oh, I didn't even see that. I thought it was a stick. Yeah, I don't even remember it being a shovel. <laughs> and then just the last thing I have are quotes. Joe, one sharp knife can feed you, clove you, and keep you warm and dry. Mm-hmm. Reuben, yo, man, where's the facility? Yeah. Okay, that's a quote. Okay. <laughs> Remember when they got yeah. there? Yeah, that's why I was like, well, that's a weird quote. And Joe, you ready for Miami? That's another weird quote. <laughs> There's not much. That's all I got. Okay. Well, you got a couple of the things that I had, but I do have some <laughs> that, other It was stuff. hard to find stuff. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is a movie I had difficulty finding information on. This is like one of them very kind of under the radar mm-hmm. movies, apparently. I mean, all I have is just some basic stuff here. Uh, the film was released uh, April of 1986. The budget for the film was $8.7 million, but it only brought back $5 million oh, in the theaters, so wow. it didn't really do well. It was a third uh, highest grossing movie for that week, so it opened at number three, followed by Police Academy 3 and The Money Pit. So, yeah, it kind of opened at third. When you open at third in the theater, a lot of time that's not a good sign because, mm-hmm. you know, usually a new movie will hit number one. Yeah. And one of the last things I kind of have here is I found a little bit of Paul Michael Glazer talking about this movie. And to give the broad strokes of this movie, this movie went very over budget. It was originally not budgeted. I guess it was originally not supposed to hit $8 million. Oh. But he said the problems with shooting was shot in location on, in the Everglades. Yeah. So you can just imagine having mm-hmm. to trek people out cameras there. Cameras. And... and crew. And, of course, the actors and everything. And you're going out there and shooting in these conditions out there, which probably aren't you mm-hmm. know the best of conditions. And even those scenes where they blow that house up. Well, yeah. It was very elaborate and a lot going on. Yeah. I know he specifically talked about how shooting in the Everglades got it over budget. And he said he was fighting with the producers in the studio and everything. I think he said that after shooting for a day, they were already behind a week. Oh, wow. On the schedule. Because, you know, like I said, it's just hard to position cameras out there because it's all muddy. Yeah. In the water and mm-hmm. you can't get your camera angles right. He said he fought with the studio and the producers throughout the filming of this movie. And, you know, he said they kept complaining to him about, you know, getting things done. He said, I think he said ultimately it'll get done when it gets done. And I think he said, needless to say, he uh, didn't really work for these people anymore after this movie was done. You know, I don't know. It's really hard to blame people for, because I, I, I guess when you're going into that kind of thing, you don't know what you're going to deal with when you're going out into conditions like that. Because mm-hmm. it's like, they talk about how the filming of Jaws was just a nightmare because you're filming out in water. And then there was that movie, uh, I don't know if you ever seen it, Waterworld with uh, oh, Kevin yeah. Costner, how much money that movie cost. And they filmed out in water and they said that was a nightmare. Yeah, it's just like I said, when you're out in those kind of rougher kind of conditions, it can drive that budget up. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what kind of happened here. And like I said, the movie just didn't recoup its uh, investment, really. So I guess that's why we didn't get banned of the hand, too. Oh. That's one of those things. It's a part of life. 
that's all I have. I mean, yeah. like I said, I, I, was, I guess I was lucky to find that. And I had to dig around just to yep. find that. There was just not a lot. Yeah, this is, like I said, this is a movie. It wasn't like, uh, I think we did Bad Girls, which was a similar film where I kind of had a little bit of trouble finding stuff on that. Yep. But I was eventually able to dig up something. This one right here, <laughs> yeah. I dug deep and couldn't find it. Oh, it anything. took me 30 minutes to get my notes up. <laughs> yeah, oh, it took me a while because yeah. I was I was working on these uh, for a good while one evening. And I was like, well, I'm coming up with nothing here. <laughs> I said, and that's pretty much uh, my review in a nutshell here, yeah. and that's it. But I guess, if anything, I'm going to hand it off to you, and we'll get your final thoughts on this movie. Um, this one was kind of, like, rad to me. Like, I'd never heard of it. I have no memories of seeing anything. It was just, like, just seeing it for the first time. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. The first time you were watching it, I was busy working, and I kept looking up, and I, and I got interested and kind of want to watch it, and then you kind of told me, oh, you plan on doing this on the podcast. Yeah. Because this one is just such a, you wonder who remembers it. Only people from the 80s would remember this, and maybe. Yeah, this is a deep, deep cut right yeah. here. But I thought it was really good, and I... You know, it's it's another one of those that you wonder what it could have been, you know? Like, if it just, if it hit at the wrong moment, or if it's just something about it that it just didn't take off. But I thought the story was really good. And back in the day, drug, of course, drugs are still a huge thing. But in the 80s, cocaine and, you know, was everything. Now it's, everything's laced with fentanyl and yeah. pills. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the rich did cocaine back then, but now it's all about your prescription pills and, you know, anything you can get your hands on that people want. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Not that cocaine isn't still out there and heroin. Yeah, it's still prominent now, but there are other things that I mean. Unfortunately, fentanyl's taking lots of lives Mm. because it's it's a drug that nobody should be lacing anything with because there's not a, a huge survival rate if you take it. I thought, you know, that was kind of, uh, had a message about society at that time. And really, that hasn't changed much. I mean, you still have gangs. You still have, you know, the drug worlds. They often kind of merged. Gangs have a lot to do with drugs and guns and all kinds of things now. Well, that was another big thing in the Mm -hmm. 80s, you know, how the gang things Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Because there was, you know, there was tons of movies, like Warriors and... Yeah. You know, this one kind of reminded me of the street scenes. A little bit. Um, not as concentrated as Warriors was. So that was a very specific gang thing that they were, had you start or struck right you in the middle of it. Yeah. And let you watch it. These kind of like, they were still young enough to mold them a different way. I mean, I think they were meant to be younger in the movie, but. Yeah, I, I gathered that they were. Probably in the movie, technically supposed to be 17 at the oldest. But yeah, these pretty much the whole cast was in their 20s, I feel like. I thought it was a really good movie. You know, my attention span's not the best. (laughs) And and then you add exhaustion to that, it's not going to be worth anything. Yeah. But I, it kept my attention. I never, there was never a moment where I was like, this is boring. I did mention that I didn't really like that scene with him and her. Yeah, yeah, that, like I said, I do agree. That was kind of a problem scene. Because I think, you know, if you love someone, you don't treat them that way. I mean, that's just the. Sabrina agrees. She's out. I I don't want to be treated bad either. 
Well, you're not treated bad. You're treated like a little princess, so yeah. you ain't got nothing to complain about. Other than that scene, I think. <laughs> I thought the script was good. The acting was pretty decent Yeah, yeah. in it. You know, it, it was on topic. So you had a lot of slang. You had a lot of certain ways they spoke. and It's a film of his time period. Exactly. Yes. And the dance and the outfits, everything. It was very 80s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good start for 2022. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, That's so it. I guess overall, I guess, uh, as they say, fingers on a hand. Band, a band of the hand. hand. Okay. Out of one to ten fingers, ten <laughs> being the most, one being the worst, what would you uh, give uh, on the score there? Um, a seven. Seven. That's a pretty yeah. solid number. I think there probably could have been some more scenes that kind of built some strength in it that maybe they didn't have or they were taken out. Well, lots of character, yeah. extra character stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I really feel like probably the one character that wasn't given a little bit more background was uh, Dorsey. He was mm-hmm. one of them that yeah. I didn't really feel like was given as much background. I mean, he's given a little bit, but... I can kind of see what you're saying. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So that's uh, you on mm-hmm. that one? Okay, well, mine is, um, I, I mean, I'm going to echo some of the stuff that you said. I mean, this movie is, of course, very 80s and very Miami Vice <laughs> in feel. I mean, you wouldn't be too shocked in this movie if you didn't see Crockett and Tubbs pull up in the background of one of these scenes <laughs> somewhere, you know, in their uh, Ferrari. You know, but this uh, film is a, it's just heavy nostalgia mm-hmm. for me in some ways because I grew up in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, even though I had no interest in dressing like any of these people, my, my dressing in the 80s was basically a leather jacket, t-shirt, jeans, and boots. I had like a, I remember at one point I had a pair of, of snakeskin cowboy boots that I wore, stuff like that. So I did not dress like these people in the, those little uh, hip uh, pastel colors. I don't know. It's it's really a film that's definitely of its period. It's like that Reagan era drug uh, time of the 80s. And the story in the film is pretty ludicrous. But that's an atypical action movie plot. All action movie plots are very ludicrous in their own way. So I don't fault it for that because I actually like that about it. Is it kind of went with it and it played it straight. It didn't try to make it as a joke. Statistically, what's the chances these guys would have went on the better road? Well, yeah, well, that's true. But I mean, I guess I had to look at that aspect in the film of like he looked at these guys' psychological profiles and he thought maybe they they had better odds than the others. Not yeah. saying that they wouldn't have, but maybe yeah. the odds were better. I'm kind of with you on the character stuff. I mean, I wish there was a few more little character beats in there that would have kind of established mm-hmm. them a little bit more. But yeah. overall, I think there was enough there to kind of give you an idea of who they were. Like you were talking about Dorsey, but I think they would. I think I wish they have shown a little bit more of Nikki. What happened to her? Uh, in a way, yes, but in a way, I didn't want to see it. But I'm just saying, so you could have understood her a little bit better. Well, that's why I think going back to the way we was talking about that scene, I wish uh, it would have. I would have written it differently, where he come in and he was complaining and raising the hell to her, 
And then she puts him in his place, said, okay, I've heard what you went now. Let, mm-hmm. Hear what I've got. Yeah. And went through and then told about how these or guys would just come yeah. in here. And I couldn't fight them off and everything. And I had to do what I was told or I would die. Something like that. You know, but I said, we're going back to that yeah. scene again. That yeah. seems to be the scene to go back to. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I'm kind of like you. I thought the acting through the film was pretty solid across the yeah. board. I can't think of anybody I have any really complaints about performance wise. Yeah. Or anything. Uh, the uh, action scenes were very well done. <sighs> what is your problem? <laughs> you getting your, you giving us your review of the movie. No, she's giving us a review of, I think, her food bowl needs to be filled. <laughs> and that's what that is. Isn't that right? She said, take your band of your hand and feed me. Yeah, well, you'll get over yourself. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, this is just a solid action movie mm-hmm. from the 80s. I mean, it's not anything groundbreaking no. or anything of that nature. It's just a very solid film. It just kind of is strange to me how this movie has kind of fallen under the radar. I know, because it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, it's no classic. It's not like, you know, this is an undiscovered film that, you mm-hmm. know, will win any kind of awards or anything. But it does kind of amaze me that you don't hear much about this movie. No. And like I said, that's one of the reasons why I want to kind of bring it to the podcast, because I haven't heard anybody talk about this movie. I thought, well, maybe we can do our little small part and kind of maybe bring some attention to it. Because I, I really think it's worth a watch. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's definitely worth picking up. And also, it's like I said, if you want a copy of this movie, as of right now, at this recording, you can get a, a Blu-ray copy of this off of Amazon for like 7 bucks. So, it's not hard to come by as of right now. And I'd say definitely pick this one up. Yeah. You know, it's well worth a, a look. But, I mean, to me, that really kind of sums up my review. And I guess, on my rating scale, I want to probably have to go with you. On this, I'd say give it a solid seven because I, I mean, I can't really find anything overtly bad about this movie no. for what it is. Yeah. I mean, if you enjoy good solid action movies, now if you don't have a, a stomach for the 80s look, <laughs> yeah, you might want to maybe avoid this. You know, if you're somebody that can overlook that and just kind of embrace it for what it is, you know, this is a good little afternoon or evening time oyster you know it's just like a good one sit down and enjoy if you're looking for an action movie but that's uh pretty much where i stand on this one i mean like i said i'm going with you it's a solid seven solid seven seven. and uh i guess that's going to wrap up our uh, coverage of band of the hand yeah and now um we're going to stay in the 80s here for a little bit because it's a good thing everybody don't see it because you know i have my uh, acid wash on and I got my studded uh, a band on with the spikes and I even got a feathered hair wig on just for this podcast but too bad you can't see it <laughs> so we're hanging 80s hard in this uh, podcast and what we're going to do here is we are going to pick out five of our favorite films from 1986 the which same, was a big year a big year for films we didn't realize till we looked. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, we did not realize at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a hard uh, list for me to pick out. There was a few films I looked on this list, and I actually looked at a trailer for one last night. It was a Jack Nicholson film with Meryl Streep called Heartburn. 
And I was like, have I seen this movie before? And then I looked at the trailer and I'm like, no, I haven't seen this movie because that movie's very adult looking even for me now. <laughs> you know, so I'm just like, you know, it's about marriage and Ew. cheating and everything, just family life. And I'm like, no, that's just too adult for me. <laughs> yeah, even, even now, that's too adult. So I don't think I've seen that movie. But we each picked out five movies that we're going to kind of uh, talk about and you know, recommend and talk about in case you haven't seen them. I feel safe to say most people have probably seen some of these movies, but if you haven't, maybe this will give you some uh, directions to go to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let Sherry uh, throw out her first pick. Yeah, my list is very cult-driven. Okay. My number one is <laughs> Labyrinth. Oh, yes. Yeah, I love that movie. And, and just about all these will hit the podcast at some point. Mm. Some possibly this year. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I guess you don't want to go too deep no. into Labyrinth. No. I understand that, yeah. Because that, that is a very good movie. Oh, yeah. David Bowie. Yeah. Just, oh, I'm part of a big Facebook group. They love Labyrinth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's like, I mean, I still remember going to the theater to see that when it came you out. You remember that little worm? Hello. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember it. If she had kept going that way, she would have went straight to the castle. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really like the movie, but yeah, I feel safe to say we will definitely get to that one on the podcast at some point. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's my number one. Oh, well, mine are in no particular order, so I'm going to just throw one of them out there. Uh, my, one of my uh, ones here is a Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. And this one is probably the most popular Star Trek movie. Even if you're not a Star Trek fan, this is a movie that you could sit down and watch. Just by the story itself about... This is about... Really, when it's all said and done, it's about how man destroys itself. Because the crew of the Enterprise has to go back in time to retrieve whales that are extinct by their time yeah. to help save the Earth. And this is the only Star Trek movie I've ever seen. Really? Yeah, I'm just not a Star Trek person. But this one, I remember, <clears throat> was very popular at the time it came out. Because, like I said, this is one that even non-Star Trek fans said, okay, this is a very good movie. Yeah. I think this is one of the biggest money makers of the Star Trek films, too. But, like I said, I, this is definitely one of them. Uh, it was hard for me to pick because yeah, there's a, a big list. It is a big list. But this one right here, I think, even if you don't like Star Trek, I would yeah. say definitely give this one a look. Yeah. You know, put your prejudices against Star Trek <laughs> aside and just watch it as a movie and you'll enjoy it. But that's uh, mine right there. Okay. My number two is Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yes. Yes. Love that movie. And that's what's so weird to me about that movie is I thought that movie came out later than what it no, did. No, it's 86. Yeah. I love everything about it. Yes. Let me see here. That's a, yes, it's a Bill Murray's got a part in it. Steve Martin, Rick Moranis. The one thing I remember about that movie is I loved the puppetry in that movie. Yes. Which I heard was a nightmare to I'll do in that too. film. Yeah. I mean, I have the Blu-ray of it. And yeah, I've watched it probably at least a couple times. Since I've, I got it. It's so funny that Steve Martin's done so much, but I always see him in this movie as the dentist. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... And I keep hearing they're talking about remaking it again. Oh, no. So, I don't know what they're going to do. If they're going to do it as a music. Yeah, CGI. I'm not really a fan of that. I don't know if they're going to make it a flat-out musical again. 
Because the original version wasn't a yeah. musical. No, it no, wasn't. No, the, the one movie. that was made in the, I think it was the Corman. When did Corman shoot that film? Was it in the late 50s, early 60s? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that one wasn't a musical. But the film was, I think, based on the play that was a musical. But I'm not really sure. I just, to me, don't touch it. Just, no, you just know, unless, unless you've got a, just a grand idea yeah, that's going to be awesome. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. My whole list was like ones that I watched all the time. I didn't realize they were all from the same year. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, when I looked at the list of the movies that came out in 86, I was like, wow. Yeah, a lot. Know? Yeah, a lot. But, so is that your, mm -hmm. on that one? Yeah. Okay. My next film is another Michael Mann film, but this is one he directed called Manhunter. And a lot of people didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, a few years later, you had Silence of the Lambs come out, which was a Hannibal Lecter. Manhunter is the first Hannibal Lecter film, but it was played by a different actor. And this movie is very 80s also, very neon, very disturbing movie at times too it's about like profiling serial killers this is oh. the first time i had ever seen that in anything because oh. i remember going to the theater and watching this movie and this is the same thing of almost like band in hand this movie came out and just died it didn't yeah, do anything it. it stars uh william peterson who if you watch the show csi you know who he is he was the lead on that show for a number of years and he's basically tracking down a serial killer called the tooth fairy involves you know stuff you know he breaks into people's houses and kills them and i don't i wouldn't call it a spree killer exactly it's, it's something very different than that but like i said i don't really want to give away too much about this movie i'm afraid i'm gonna say too much and it'll run it if you yeah. haven't seen it but if you read the book red dragon they even remade this movie called red dragon but it was nowhere near as good as this one this is one i would say if you haven't seen it and you like the hannibal lecter films I'd say give this one a watch because I do think it's superior to Red Dragon. And I'm going to even be controversial here and say I feel it's superior to Silence of the Lambs too. And Silence of the Lambs is like a big deal to a lot of people because mm -hmm. that one wore on Academy Awards and everything. This I've one did not. Seen it. But I would say this is one to definitely watch. That's for sure. I think it's out on Blu-ray now. I don't know if it's out of print or not, but it's one definitely worth picking up if you can get it. But that is my next one right there, Manhunter. My number three is Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to have to fight you for this one. <laughs> as long as one of us got to it, I was happy. Yeah. <laughs> and this one will definitely at some point hit the podcast. Yeah. And this is another film that was not a hit when it came out. Because Gullible David, when he was a little kid, thought that any movie like this was just popular and everybody loved it. Then, nope. of course, years later, I come to find out it wasn't a hit. I was like, what? <laughs> you know? So, like I said, if you didn't pick this one, I was going to pick it. because, mm -hmm. And if neither one of us picked it, then we should just both... Give it up. Yeah, give it up. Because this is just an awesome movie. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Just uh, love everything about it. Yeah, it's just so much fun. Yeah. It's just a, it's just fun is what this movie is. It's probably one of John Carpenter's last kind of great movies. Because after that, he did a couple of more that are really good. But then after that, he kind of started, his films were kind of hit and miss after that. Yeah, it's like I said, I can't argue on that one. I mean, it's just Chinese, it's Kung Fu movie mixed with a... Supernatural. It's it's got all angles. 
It's got some comedy. It's got some kind of creepy scenes. Yeah, and Jack Burton's just a blowhard <laughs> yeah. in it. That you know, he's technically not the hero of this no. movie at all, really. Uh, despite he does kill uh, the head bad guy at the end, but for the most part, he's kind of just useless. Yeah, he just kind of like stumbled into it. But it's it's such a good movie. It's yeah. such a good movie, and that's a, yeah, definitely. If you haven't watched this movie, give it give it a oh, look. Yeah. I mean, You're I'm on I'm out. actually on a Big Trouble in Little China facebook page and yeah. yeah it gets a lot of love in there of course so that's uh, you on that one okay my next one is uh aliens and this is of course the sequel to alien i don't know what i can say about this movie that hasn't been said it's an amazing sequel to the original completely different in a lot of ways from the original the original was more of a haunted house movie in space mm-hmm. on a ship where you had a monster in in the house this one is a war movie, like Starship Troopers or something in a way, where yeah. there's these Marines up against these aliens. This movie, you ever heard the old saying of you're on the edge of your seat watching mm-hmm. a movie? Yep. This is the movie, one of the movies that did that to me when I was a kid. I remember going to see this movie in the theater on a Friday, and I was completely you yeah. know, tense the whole time mm-hmm. watching this movie. And it was so good. I was like, I'll, and I went back and seen the movie again that Saturday. <laughs> it was so good. I don't know. This is a movie I go out and back on as far as which is my favorite in the series, the first one or the second one. Like I said, you ask me right now, I'm going to say Alien. But if you were to ask me that same question two or three weeks from now, I'd probably say this one. They're yeah. just so close. They're two very different films, but they're both amazing in their own way. And I think this is probably one of James Cameron's probably best films. This one, to me, and uh, uh, Terminator are probably his two best films to me. But it's just an amazing film, and it still holds up very well today. I mean, I feel safe to say most people listening to this have seen this movie, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's a very big sci-fi action movie. But for some reason, this has avoided you over the years, and you haven't seen it. I don't know what rock you've been living under. (laughs) But if you haven't seen it, definitely pick it up, because it's very good. And that is uh, my third. Um, my number four is Howard the Duck. Oh. Howard the Duck. Oh, yeah. I watch this all the time. And I don't care if people hate it. There's F a lot of people you, that do. There, I love it. There's a lot of people that do. Yeah. yeah. I love Howard the Duck. He was so cute. Yeah. Yeah, this... It's a cult movie. You've got your set of kind of people that would love this movie. You know, I've... I've heard people say it was so dumb and it's so stupid and I don't agree. This falls into one of those movies that I think if you were of a certain age and mm-hmm. you watched this movie, you would like it more. It's almost like how I hear people that talk now that they don't like Goonies, for example. But if you're watching Goonies in your 30s... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah that you're not going to like it because mm-hmm. you can't relate to it. You can't relate to having your little buddies at that age and yeah. everything was an adventure and, yeah. you know, when yeah. kids actually played outside. I mean, I think the reason I like Goonies is that I was well, I watched the film just as I was still kind of roughly in that age bracket. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like if I had to watch Goonies two or three years after that, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have liked it. And this one is something similar. Like the monster that's at the end kind of yeah. scared me. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And he turns into the monster at the end. Yeah. It kind of scared me when I was little. Yeah, I think the reason I like this movie is, of course, for one thing, I was the age for this movie. I would have been seven. Yeah, I was, <laughs> God, how old was I when this came out? Maybe 13? Mm-hmm. Something like that. I think I was of the age to watch it and enjoy it yeah. because I didn't go into it with any kind of preconceived things. It was just a fantasy movie. Yeah, me. yeah. And that was how I kind of looked at it. Yeah, if I sit down and dig into this movie, I'm sure I could find a bunch of shitty things about it if I wanted to, which <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's pretty much in every movie. I was entertained by this movie oh, when I watched it. Oh, I loved it. it. And I think if it's one of those films, if you were to watch it in your 30s mm-hmm. or 40s... You or, would get it. You would, yeah, it would be, you feel you're too sophisticated <laughs> to, to like this, then no, you're not going to like it. Ah, oh, fuck off. Howard the Duck's awesome. Yeah, but, you know, it's like I said, I mean, I think this is just one of those films you have to watch at a certain age. I mean, I do have a lot of nostalgia for the movie. I can mm-hmm. recognize that it's not uh, a classic or a great movie, no. but it's kind of a fun movie to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, like I said, that's one I can't fault you for picking because it, it is a lot of fun to watch. It does get a lot of hate. It does get, because that movie was a bomb when it came <laughs> out. I mean, I remember going to the theater to see it. I was the only one in there when that was out. <laughs> I think I seen it the first day it came out. Wow. And I was the only one in there. And, of course, it has duck tits in it. So, you you know, that's another thing. That's another thing you will never see in another movie, too. But, like I said, so that's uh, your... Uh, that's it? That's on yeah. Howard Duck? Okay. My next one is a movie called Witchboard that uh, was out that year. That was another film. It just kind of came and went from the theaters. This movie has uh, Tony Katane, who is known for... Moving around across uh, hoods of cars and white snake videos and and things and uh, being hooked up with O.J. Simpson at one time. Yeah, she recently passed away. And yeah, she passed away. What about a year ago? Roughly? Did they ever say what killed her? I can't recall now. She died in her sleep. Yeah, I don't recall what they said. I don't she know that that's been released to the public yet. I'm not Which sure. Which could be drug related. I don't know. Uh, she did have drug issues, oh, yes. but yeah. I, but she's the star of the film. And uh, for watchers of the soap opera Days of Our Lives, uh, Stephen Nichols, who plays Patch on Days of Our Lives, is in this yeah. movie. This movie is about basically messing around with Ouija boards and <laughs> uh, bad things come from it. This is a very solid kind of horror movie. And the one thing that always surprised me about this movie is how the characters are more well-defined than most horror movies. Because this is almost a very character-driven movie in some ways. And I've always almost kind of found it strange. I mean, and this is not in a sexual way, but it's almost like a love story between two guys. Really? These two guys were like best friends when they were little kids and they had a falling out over this girl. Which is Tony Katane's character. And it's about these two guys almost kind of trying to find their way to being friends again. Because, you know, you get the inclination they were very close when they were kids. And it's almost about them kind of trying to reconcile their differences with each other and kind of become friends again. It's always over a woman. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, sadly what that <laughs> happens a lot of the time. And I don't know, I really like this movie it was one of those like i said just kind of disappeared in and out of theaters and you know it didn't really start to gain an audience until time went on as the years went by but it's one 
that I would say definitely if you haven't seen this one, I would say pick it up. It's another one that I think is out on Blu-ray right now. Pretty solid transfer on the film. And it's one to definitely pick up because it's just very good. Very good movie. Very underrated. But uh, that's uh, me on Witchboard. Okay. Four of my five were kind of the fantasy kind of. But five, I, I chose all mine were just ones that I watched all the time. Yes. Five is Stand By Me. Oh, yeah. I love uh, Stand By Me. That, that's a very good movie. Very good movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could go on uh, for a while about that movie. Yeah. That's one I have a lot of nostalgia for because mm-hmm. that movie reminds me of a lot when I was a kid. It makes me miss River Phoenix. Yeah, he was very good in that movie. Mm-hmm. He would have been another Johnny Depp probably if he had lived, but he just couldn't beat his demons. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, he, yeah. Everybody was very good in that yeah. movie. That guy, that movie is like I just remember watching that movie, and it made me remember a lot of when yeah. I was a kid. I think I watched it again a few years ago, and it just like a lot of nostalgia came from that movie. No, I mean, that's an amazing movie. It was kind of weird that you picked that. I thought you would have picked something else. Yeah, I was going to pick Money Pit, but I thought, no, Stand By Me was something that I just love that movie. Yeah. I just love everything about it. I, you know, you cry in it. You, the, the part where they find the guy dead yeah. scared me oh, to the, death. The, the body. Yeah, yeah. scared yeah. me to death. It's like a nostalgic thing with me. With this movie yeah that's similar for me it's a very nostalgia driven movie it's just a very good movie but very nostalgia driven because anytime i watch that movie i'm just like transported back to when i was a little kid and you know the they always called the the brat pack Melo estevez rob lowe demi moore all them they were considered the brat pack mm-hmm. but the cast of stand by me were my brat pack really yeah yeah the Corey's no Corey Hayne wasn't in this one. Corey Feldman was in it. Yes, but I'm talking about that main River Phoenix. Corey Feldman. What was the other little boy? Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. They were my brat pack. Yeah, I mean, I guess I never. Well, I wasn't a brat pack follower really. I mean, yeah. I would watch the movies, but they were I wasn't a little bit older than me. Yeah, I guess that's why I couldn't really relate to it. I related um, more to the Corey's. When they came about, then I did like Rob Lowe and all that. I guess I could see that. I guess, you know, I didn't, I mean, I watched films like, I guess what you say, Breakfast Club and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I liked them for what they were. But, you know, I never really could associate with them or relate to them, I guess is the better word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I could see. They were all in those mainstream movies that maybe you danced a little bit away from those kind of stuff yeah i mean i liked the movies for what they were but i never could really relate to them as yeah much. breakfast club was i don't know it just never was my favorite like i always preferred saying almost fire over um breakfast club really yeah i don't i mean i remember saying almost fire but i don't remember enough about to remember There's if another, i actually liked it or not i actually need to add that to the list of my podcast because i watched saying almost fire all the time. Wow, you're probably better knowledge on it. I probably watched <laughs> that movie since I was in high school. Yeah. So I don't really remember a lot about it. I was it. just very odd, like like I didn't like Pretty in Pink. I like that one a lot. So I like I, I like Sixteen Candles. I, I love that one. I, and that was one I I never saw until I was in my thirties. Wow, really? I never saw it. I love Sixteen Candles. It is very unpolitically correct now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
you know, you got to take it for what it is. You yep. know, I don't care if a film is a PC <clears throat> or not. But yeah, I mean, like I said, Stand By Me is a great pick. That's like an awesome movie. Uh, that's that's actually like a movie that is nearly perfect yeah. in what it does. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can find very little fault in that movie. Yep. So that's, uh, that's you on number five. Okay, my last one here is uh, the film uh, The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg. And this is a film, is one of those few films I could not believe what I was watching as I was watching it, as it moved along. It's a horror movie, that's for sure. To give the uh, basics of a plot, this guy named uh, Seth Brundle has developed a, a machine that can teleport you from one pod to the other. And he meets this female reporter. She ends up wanting to document it. And, of course, they start a relationship and things kind of moving forward like that. And then he gets jealous when she goes to see her former boss, who she was in a relationship with. I guess, you know, I can't remember the exact circumstances of why. And then he gets drunk and gets mad. And then he's like, well, I'm going to try to teleport her myself because he hasn't put an actual human in it yet. Mm -hmm. He gets in the teleporter. And a fly gets in the teleporter with him, and it transports both of them over. But what this teleporter do is it breaks you down and then rebuilds you. So the fly was in there with him, so it fuses them. Oh, no. And at first, when he gets out, he feels fine. You know, he looks the same and everything, but he feels energized. But then, of course, things start manifesting. His body starts breaking down and everything, and it becomes horrifying to watch him break down like that. This was during the time when AIDS was really big. So you kind of look at his body breaking down as like he got some kind of disease like AIDS or cancer or something mm. like that. And it truly is a horrifying film and one of the saddest endings I've ever seen I in just, a movie. I know that I saw it, but I just, it's like my mind is blank. I, know, I remember scenes, I think. Yeah, maybe like that's what nasty it is. when he was turning into the fly. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, oh, it's got, I mean, it's got some very goopy effects in mm -hmm. it. And like I said, the ending of this movie is just very sad. It's like Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, they are both excellent in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's not my favorite David Cronenberg film, but I'd say it's in probably the top three of his. And of course, you probably know David Cronenberg from being the father in that slasher series, Flesh oh, and Blood, yes. that we watched recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. The, he's the dad in that movie. He we made this talk movie. About that. Yeah, we will at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like I said, The Fly is just a great movie from yeah. top to bottom. I mean, it's a movie that just builds at a good pace. And when you're invested in these characters, because you actually care about these characters, and when you see what happens, you're just devastated by the end of it. I don't know. This is one that I might end up doing on the podcast at some point because it's it's got a lot to talk about. In yeah, the movie. I'd, I'd like to go back and watch it. Yeah, but as like I said, it's just a great movie. It's, yeah. it's a great movie. And, I mean, well worth watching. If you haven't seen this one, I'd say definitely give it a look. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, if you're looking for something that's just not only a good solid horror movie, but it's just very goopy and it's got them practical special effects, which are just mind-blowing to look yes. at. I'd say definitely give this one a look. But that's my last one right here. And I had a few I wrote down as a few little honorable mentions. And I ain't going to go into plots or anything. But there was other great films that came out that year. You had like Blue Velvet that came out that mm -hmm. year. And another little cult classic called Terror Vision. And one called From Beyond, which is a great kind of Lovecraft adaptation. Mm -hmm. You had Friday the 13th Part 6 that came out that year. Yeah. Uh, the Hitcher. 
came oh, out that year. God. Yeah, that's a that's a, another one we watched a lot, which is weird. Yeah, yeah, that's a very yeah the same with the semi truck. Jason Lee yeah. getting pulled apart by the trucks. Oh yeah, God. yeah, which I was devastated by it when I was a kid. I had a huge crush on her when I was a kid, <laughs> and to see her die like that, that was horrifying to me. Oh, no. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two mm-hmm. came out that year. And uh, Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood came out that year. So that's just some of the movies. I didn't so, know we were doing, I guess mine would be Money Pit. Yeah. And that movie, Extremity, Extremities. Yeah. Well, I, Fawcett. these were just honorable mentions. I was going to write down more. But basically yeah. what I just wanted to show you in this list, this extra list, is just what films were out that yeah, year. Yeah, that was a ton. And like you said, The Money Pit came out that year, yeah. Extremities, which is a very rough oh, movie to watch, yes. but it's a good movie. She yeah. got hers back. And uh, the film Platoon came out that year, uh, Oliver Stone film, which is great, too. I mean, that's like I said, that was a stacked year of 86 right there. Okay, and I guess to uh, wrap up the podcast here, um, feel free to contact us, you know, our email um, or on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. You know, leave us any questions or comments or anything. If there's a movie you would like us to cover on the show, yeah. just uh, give us the heads up and we'll be more than happy to cover any kind of suggestions that you have. Or even feedback. Yeah, feedback of yeah. any kind. I mean... How are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's like I said, we are getting some pretty solid uh, numbers on listening. Clicks, yeah, yeah, clicks on the show. So I'm very happy to hear that. And feel free to drop us a line. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. But I guess now uh, Sherry is going to announce what her pick is for the next episode. And what are you going to go with this time? Um, For episode 14, we are going to leave the 80s and go to 1990. Oh, so we're barely out of the 80s. Barely out of the 80s. barely out of the 80s. And we are going to go into the world of Tremors. Tremors. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's a good one. This is one of my favorite movies ever. Like, I'm a goofball my choices kind of will always be kind of goofy, probably. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. Now, I do want to do some serious stuff, but, like, it's just, like, really hard when we were even making our list for the whole year. Like, there were so many that didn't make the list. Oh, yeah. It's well, so hard to fit everything in that you want to do. Yeah, well, you letting people in on behind the curtain here, but we yeah. already have our whole year's episodes planned done. out. So. Yeah, we got now, a little board hanging up that shows what we plan on doing. I think we've got six bonus episodes yeah right, as of right. right now yeah and like i said this this list is flexible it could change yeah. but for the most part yeah. this is kind of what we're going with mm-hmm. just to let you know that yeah there is a little bit of pre-planning that goes yeah. on here we just kind of wanted to get it down on the board just so that we could see all the diversity to be sure we had a lot of different things going on yes yes like I said, Tremors, like I said, that's a solid pick. I mean, that'll be interesting to talk about not only that, but, you know, I mean, I've seen most of the sequels, if not all the sequels I to it. I haven't seen past the first one. Yeah, really? Yeah, and I've watched it. I watched the TV show here and there when it was on. I don't think I've seen every episode. So I kind of, you know, I can talk about this a little bit. This yeah. will be a good one to do. Yeah, it's going to be hilarious. I guess, like I said, that'll wrap up this particular episode of the Movie Clint Podcast. And until next time, I'm David. I'm Sherry. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.